2: Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Wrestleomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York where today is Sunday, May 7th, 2023 and we are joined not from Wembley Stadium, not from Puerto Rico. No, we're not there live on location in San Juan, Puerto Rico. We are joined uh, by Chris Gullo from Buffalo and Jesse Collins from the greater Boston area. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, guys. How's it going?
3: Fine. Good. How are you? I'm doing great. What a Beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning it is to discuss some very, very interesting things today. Yes, we have
2: um the the quite good WWE Premium Live event, Backlash, that I watched, uh, pre- pretty much in its entirety. It was it was on in the living room. Um, and AEW has sold some tickets, I've heard. Uh AEW and what else do we have here? Uh we'll look look at some of the biggest gates of all time and things of that nature. Um, there's an interesting slide that was part of an Orange County presentation that I've mentioned on previous podcasts. We'll give that another look. And General David Zasloff was at the helm this past Friday, I think. And uh, we might go into my article about um, wrestlers under the age of 30. So, anyway, if you want to participate with a super chat today, you're encouraged to do so. We'll answer your question or comment. And uh, AEW at Wembley Stadium. All in August 27th on what was this? What was the third? It was the third Tuesday. What day? This is Wednesday. Tony Khan on Wednesday saying after only 32 hours of presale, AW All In in London has already sold over 43,000 tickets. That's the equivalent of $5.7 million. That was on Wednesday. He gave another update. I love these updates with numbers on the record. Uh, the following day, Thursday, he said, thanks to the amazing support of the fans, 50,000 tickets have been sold an equivalent of $6.5 million. And then on Friday, the general on sale began. And uh, AW All-In at that point. This is Friday. Tony Khan is tweeting at 4.42 p.m. Eastern time. That's something like uh, almost 10 at night London time, I think. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 60,000 tickets sold, $7.7 million, or if you prefer, $6.1 Great. British pounds sterling. Is that how you, how you properly Usually say I think it? you just say
3: pounds sterling.
2: pounds. But the, but the abbreviation is like GBP. Great, British, Great Britain pounds anyway.
3: My, uh, um, my knowledge is entirely based on uh, soccer transfers and they say pounds sterling if they have to elaborate. Okay.
2: Well, $7.7 7 million sold. Uh, that's the gate at this point. Um, and 60,000 tickets out. Uh this is what the ticket map has has been looking like uh it's so this is ticketmaster.co.uk not ticketmaster.com so the this wasn't the the ticket map wasn't visible before the during the presale at all um it was just sort of the multicolored image file that was sitting there showing all the sections so you couldn't zoom in and whatnot until the general on sale actually began um and uh a, a twitter user here uh fusion addict stitched all these together and tagged Many of us in the, in the wrestling business media space, uh, last night and stitched the, the ticket map together. So we get an idea of sort of of what tickets are available and, and are on sale at the moment. It's, it's several thousand. Um, there's a great deal of confusion here about how many tickets are out. I know Wrestle posted a, a lengthy post, I believe yesterday morning. Uh, at least two other people have also tried to do the, do the Wrestle style. Dot counting, while ruling out the sections that there are apparently not open at all, either for production kills or, or whatever, um, and, and everybody's coming to this number that's more like seventy five thousand tickets distributed. Um, but the, the seventy five thousand is way too high. Um, I'm, I'm told that there's about fifteen thousand seats that are being held at the moment for different reasons. Um, some because of sight lines. Some are being held to possibly be comped. Some are killed as usual for produ- uh, production and uh some are just being held so that other seats will sell first uh maybe for reasons they want to fill up certain areas for the camera or something like that but i am told there are 15,000 tickets being held so if you if you add 15,000 to 60,000 you do get the 75,000 that people are finding when they try to count up uh the dots on the ma- on the ticket map so that would explain that so russell ticks put out a tweet clarifying that russell ticks has not reported that uh, there are seventy
3: thousand tickets distributed for all in, so Russell Tix. Russell Ticks learned is. a valuable lesson of they went with like very lengthy post explaining different factors and aspects of the process of of what kind of what they basically uh, summarization of everything that they've done over the last few days. And they learned a valuable lesson. And sometimes when you go into greater detail, some people will just take one of the small things you say and then extrapolate it as something big you said. So when they mentioned the mm-hmm. 70,000 figure that some people just took that and ran with it saying 70,000. Oh my God. Yes. I, I may have been advising Mr. Russell ticks that people are going to have
2: really low reading comprehension. They're just going to, you know, glance at it and run. Um, I, I, I may even be guilty of doing that with press releases sometimes. Um, so I've been looking through the uh, the Pro Wrestling History and seeing how this stacks up to other events. Um, com has a great Excel spreadsheet that you can find on their website. It's kind of hidden. I forget where I find it, but it's in there somewhere. Or if you just Google com Excel, it'll come up. In any case, uh, it's got a lot of numbers, probably sourcing from the Observer Newsletter. Uh, of the biggest crowds of all time, it's got some gate numbers in here and attendance numbers in here. Um, and so I went through and I took all of, the, all of the events that they have a gate for, and I added some more that, I, that are not in here, that are more recent, um, and I adjusted them all to 2023 U.S. dollars and to find out where it is all in rank among the biggest gates of all time at this point. I mean, there's reason to believe that they'll sell more tickets beyond the $7.7 million that they, uh, according to Tony Khan, they have sold. And it would put it, I've got what what are probably the roughly 40,000 or the 40 highest pro wrestling gates ever. I don't know if I'm missing any here. This is, wasn't like an exhaustive list where I combed through and combed through, but these are at least 40 of the highest pro wrestling gates ever. The number one biggest gate ever still is a, uh, is a WWE WrestleMania 32 at AT&T stadium with $17.3 million at the time adjusted now to inflation so all the inflation we've experienced since 2016 would now be the equivalent of almost 22 million dollars, a single day event. Now, if you want to combine the two two day WrestleManias, it would be over the the two day WrestleMania of this year would be over that, but we're not doing that. I've separated each one into an individual event, and to, you know this year's WrestleMania is in the uh, I don't know the top 20 or so. It's about 10. It says so, 10. 10.8 oh, million for both nights. Right, right. So I'm I'm just just cutting in half the um the 20. $21.6 million that they, they reported in their press release. Um, but it would put, you know, all in would already be above the 2010 WrestleMania and the, and just on the cusp of the Donald Trump 2007 WrestleMania in Detroit. Um, so, and that would put it, I mean, in terms of attendees, this will be the biggest, the most attended show that is a non WWE wrestling show since. Jesse and I were discussing this a few days ago, since at least 1960, right? There's some... I don't know if it's on Uh, here, but there's like some some 1960 event that is on this list that's not a
3: W show. Yeah, you'd really have to go back to some really old events that's attendance are hard to verify. There's a series of, I'm sorry, we have to rule out the North Korea shows too,
2: of course, that people were, were ordered. This is what you're doing today. You're going to to see uh, Antonio Noki versus Ric Flair.
3: Weren't they like giving away food at those events and stuff like that too? Like it was like a relief festival. So like people wanted to get like bread for their family. They had to go watch Ric Flair versus Antonio Noki. It was a, it was a peace
2: festival. It was Antonio Noki
1: making the world more peaceful. (laughs)
3: But um, yeah, you'd really have to go back to um, like Bronco like the Gersky, 1930s.
1: Jim Londo, stuff like that.
3: Yeah, well, Jim Londo's has these a, a number of stadium shows in Greece uh, in the nineteen thirties where he drew an indeterminate number of people. The biggest estimate I've ever seen is a hundred thousand people with thirty thousand turned away. Um, you probably have to look back at those shows um, as like the biggest non WWE crowds ever. But for all intents and purposes, all in is going to be that number. It's either it's probably going to pass the Londo shows for paid attendance. I would assume it's yeah. already probably past that from being realistic. Um, and so it, it for all intents and purposes is going to be the most highest attended non WWE show of all time discounting the North Korea shows for obvious reasons.
2: Yeah, we have, we have a 19 looking uh, at a, a spreadsheet off screen here. There is a 1962 event in Karachi, Pakistan um, that, according to com had 60,000 attendees. That's a round, flat number, 60,000. May 18th, 1962.
3: Yes, and the, those numbers are om- almost impossible to verify. And if I would say, let's say it's accurate, 62,000, I very, very highly doubt
1: that that 62,000 paid. Yeah, we don't know if it was just maybe a free show, a free festival, and all that. And then there's a, a New Delhi India show. New
2: Delhi? In just 1960 – in 1960, no no more specific date than that, that had 80,000, according to Pro Wrestling
3: History. And, and that's the famous Dara Singh match. People are familiar with Dara Singh. That's like his greatest yes. accomplishment. Again, probably unlikely that's a paid attendance figure, if it's an accurate at all. Um, and the further you go back in history – the less accurate these numbers are going to be um, for the most part. Okay. But this will be
2: at a minimum, you could say this will be the most highly attended show since in the last 60 years. Non WWE show. Yes. Not non WWE, non WWE, non DPRK with those caveats. Yes. Um, so is, is there more here that I had? This has, if you want to get people fired up here, this has surpassed clash of the castle. Um, in terms of paid attendees it has not surpassed clash the castle yet in terms of a live gate. Uh, WWE reported in Q3 of last year. Uh, they, they break out North America live event business and international live event business because of that. Uh, and, and because there was only one international event in that quarter, it's pretty clear. <laughs> There's no question about it. Clash of the castle had 54,000 paid attendees and it made a $8 million dollar Eight eight million dollars in ticket sales. Uh, they also got a subsidy from the local government. I don't think that's included in ticket sales. I I would guess that that's included in the other line here that's reported as one point eight million dollars in the quarter. But um, it could surpass that live gate. And we know how high those ticket prices were, at least in terms of the reaction online to to the ticket prices. Um, the average ticket price for that event one hundred forty nine dollars. Let's call call it. Um, and at if we do do some math here, what's the average ticket price of all in at this point? Um And it's what well, we got 60,000 people divided by, oops, it's 70, 7.7 7 million, $7.7 7 million divided by 60,000 paid attendees is an average ticket price of 128. So clash
3: the castle, 149 all in 128. And that's also, you have to consider that like the most expensive tickets for all in have probably all been sold for the most part. And that average ticket price number might fall down as, you know, these new sections get opened up. And you look at the ticket map and tickets that are available. Those are not going to be the most expensive tickets that are available right now. If you look at them, they're really on the outer edges of the the stadium. So theoretically, if they sell more tickets and we get closer to the date, that average ticket price for All-In is probably going to fall.
1: Yeah. And did Clash of the Castle have like a $30 ticket like All-In has? Like, I don't think they had. I think they might
3: have. I think. I think the big difference between All In and Clash of the Castle, um, if I recall correctly, is that the ringside seats in the seats like really close to the ring for Clash of the Castle were much more expensive than the similar seats for All In. But once you moved past, once you got off like the field and moved into like the actual stadium seating, I think the tickets are relatively similarly priced. And I do think that they had cheap tickets Um, because Clash of the Castle, I mean, I guess it sold out in, in the way WWE does sellouts, but I would imagine that that stadium can sit more than 50, whatever, 58,000, 59,000 people, um, for a wrestling show. I imagine and it was
2: 54,000 was the paid number based mm-hmm. on WSCC filings. Wrestle ticks. I'm trying to look it up real quick. Wrestle ticks had what for tickets distributed 62,250.
3: Yeah, So that sounds a, I guess that sounds about right. I'm thinking like, and if someone was at Clash at the Castle, they can surely weigh in. But like, if there were people sitting in like the very, very back of the top, uh, you know, 300 section of of the stadium. So I know it's a really, it's the old Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. I know that's a really big stadium. I don't know if it's as big as Wembley, um, but it's, you know, probably equal in size to any building that they've run WrestleMania in before.
2: And, And what is the, so we know the highest gate ever is WrestleMania 32. In Dallas, what is the most attended wrestling show, other than the North Korea shows? I guess there are there are some like Greece shows that are supposedly one hundred thousand.
3: Yeah, but that's such a the, like that's those those might as well be the WWE announced figures. Okay. Like, just so no one
2: has so anything. as far as mo- modern, let's say the video era, in the the era in which there is video, um, the highest attendance ever would be, I I I think it's WrestleMania three. Yeah. In fact, um, I think WrestleMania thirty two. I mean, according to the Arlington Police, they they told me eighty thousand one hundred and something. I should probably know this, but just over eighty thousand was the number through the turnstiles. So I I'm loosely defining here attendance as spectators, fans who are there to watch the show, not including ticket takers and staff and things of that nature, um, versus WrestleMania three, which Dave will admit is at least seventy eight thousand. Um and I think Bix put together a pretty strong argument to to sell me on that. It's, it's more like in the mid eighties in terms of attendance. So,
3: and I don't, I can't think of anything that's above the mid eighties. Yeah. I have a hard time believing there were mid 80,000s in, in the silver dome. I think that exaggerates the size of the silver dome. Um, but it's probably, it's either WrestleMania three or WrestleMania 32. And the number is probably in the low eight to mid eighties, I guess. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think Bix is considering sweets and things like
2: that in any case. Um, so what does this mean for AEW? Is this, uh, how is this actually
3: bad news for AEW? Um, AEW is going to have this big show, um, and people are going to be disappointed because the people watching it are only familiar with WWE wrestling um, because AEW definitely yeah. doesn't have 70,000-plus fans. So they're going to get disappointed when they see the Young Bucks doing a couple extra rotations on their moves and Orange Cassidy doing comedy and it's going to turn them off forever and probably kill their entire business in Europe. Okay, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Everyone, please do not clip that. Uh, uh, you, you can at Jesse yeah.
2: Collins on Twitter with your well, feedback One, cl- on one
3: glance at my Twitter account would hopefully clarify those
2: this comments. But um, so I, 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 you know, I do believe this is this is a a, a good event in, in AEW's narrative that you know that AEW is doing well, which. You know, we, we did a show a few months ago, right? I think going into Revo- the revolution pay per view in March, uh, about, you know, how AEW's popularity has been in decline up to that point, And it hasn't really changed, at least until this week. Or I think, I mean, the, this, this is just one data point, but I think there's a, a really strong marketing message here in that, wow, this is, this is kind of at least for this week and who knows what will follow. This says for this week changed the mood around AEW to my view to what extent that's meaningful. I think it is meaningful to some extent around the notion that while AEW is doing something exciting and there's good positive news here.
3: There's a long way to go until we get to the day this event actually takes place. Um, CM Punk is coming back. Um, AEW Collision or whatever the Saturday show is, is probably going to start, you know, a few months before this show. It'll be really interesting to see what kind of place AEW is in leading up to the show what kind of matches are they going to have on it? Are they going to be huge matches that people are going to be excited about and they're going to be able to build up on television? Um, so the anticipation for this event is high. So you see people, more people tuning into dynamite in like the month leading up to this big event. Um, and, and, and I think the question is how can they leverage this big event, which is going to be a really big deal. They're going to have a, a huge crowd. People are going to probably be really interested in watching it on however they're able to watch it, which we don't know yet. Yeah. Um, how can that be leveraged to beyond just this one event where they do a really big gate and they sell a lot of tickets? Are they going to come back to, and then they're going to come back to the United States and they're going to do, um, you know, they're going to sell 4,000 tickets to a taping in Washington, DC and, and do a point two eight in, in the 18 to 49. Or are they going to be able to see some uh, more consistent uh, positive trends in popularity? related to anticipation for this event i guess
2: yeah the uh, the rating on wednesday after they had sold i think at that at that point 40 or 50000 tickets was was one of the lowest ratings in the last 12 months or so it was about uh, the same of what they've been doing
3: right 0.28 it was a 0.28 with in the lower demo. total uh, viewership on a very very um, competitive television night um, and it's going to be very very competitive this wednesday as well um, yes are they going against the Lakers and the, uh, the Warriors? They're going against the Lakers and the Warriors. Um, it's like the Vanderpump Rules Part Three of their like interminable seasons finale. Um, I believe there's a a Trump one on one. Or town See, hall or Trump something like CNN that going on um, on the news networks or one of the news networks. Um, on NHL CNN. playoffs. Um, it's they might you know they're going to have uh, you know they have the Kenny O'Baker versus John Maxley steel cage match which is. You know, a pretty big match for them to give away on television, um, but I wouldn't expect like a massive rating this week. Yeah, it was.
2: I'm trying to see if this was some benchmark. I didn't. I didn't oh, this was the lowest total viewership since June fifteenth, twenty
3: twenty two. So the um, I, I, and the, the other question I have associated with this event, if we're looking at, let's say, let's say they've sold sixty thousand tickets, and I think it's fair to say that most people that would naturally be enthusiastic about going to All-In have already bought their tickets. So how much of a market is there over the next few months for AEW to sell more tickets to people? Is that going to come from certain matches that they can give away? Is that going to come from local advertising? Is that going to come from continuing to kind of sell the idea that this is just a major cultural event in pro wrestling. And even if you're not an AEW fan and you've never been to an AEW show in your life and you don't even know many of the wrestlers, you're going to want to go to this show because it's Wembley stadium and it is going to be, you know, the biggest non WWE show from an attendance perspective, perhaps ever. Um, and from a paid attendance perspective has, a, has a chance to become, you know, one of the five or so biggest attended wrestling shows ever, even including WrestleManias. So, um, what, what I think some of this depends on like what's
2: how how available are hotels for people who are coming in from out of town? And that's it's not something I have a great grasp uh, on. I guess I could I could just start shopping for hotels in London. I mean they're
3: in dates. okay, they're in London and it's not like there aren't events that do a hundred thousand people at Wembley Stadium from time to time.
2: Uh with people coming in from out of like town. Mike
3: to Koppinger though. told us about the uh the Tyson Fury fight that did like ninety-four thousand at Wembley Stadium, I think, earlier this year. He was kind enough to well, point what, that out. What's the,
2: what's the percentage of people um, who are coming in from out of town for an event like that or for a soccer event? Right. Um, I think this I probably this has got to rely
3: largely on people. I would imagine time. pretty high for, like, a, a major boxing event. Um, obviously, you're getting people from London, um, but you're getting people from all over Europe, certainly for a major international soccer game like the you know, UEFA um, Euro final that took place at Wembley um, two years ago. Certainly, you're talking about it, you know England was in the final, which probably helped, but you're certainly talking about a lot of flying crowd people from there. Um, I, so I, and it's London; it's one of the largest cities in the world. I really have a hard time believing there's like a massive shortage of hotels because there's these wrestling fans coming into to London. London has like yeah. they have like seven.
2: I'm showing on the screen; you can you can still get. Hotels at a pretty reasonable price yeah. in, in London. For, if this was, I'm, I'm searching. If you August if you were having this to August 28 in
3: Jacksonville, Florida, I would be like, oh, there might be a crunch on hotels or or something like that. But the fact that they're having it in just a a massive tourism city um, like London, I wouldn't be that worried about yeah. like hotels and things like that. And I am, and I imagine that most people. Who would be getting a hotel for this event are people who already bought their tickets because they're planning everything in advance. They got to get their flight. They got to get their hotel. They got to get their tickets. I think the people that you're going to sell to maybe if you want to take this from 60,000 to 80,000 over the next few months, the people you're going to sell on are going to be people in the London area or in maybe in throughout you know the UK and maybe Ireland, but you're going to be, it's going to be mostly people domestically who are going to want to go to this show mm. that uh, I, I think anyone with a that's uh, an international fan. Maybe you're a fan somewhere in Europe. Maybe you're even a fan in like the United States, and you want to go to this. You you were in on the presale, and you yeah. you were able to get your ticket. You know. For the, for the most part, I don't think there's a sizable... I don't think there's a lot of fans, you know, somewhere in, like, Italy or Germany that are like, I'll see what the card is, and then I'll try to get in. I think if they're really considered going, they're already going to purchase their tickets. And I, I, I guess I'm just wondering... What if you're a big Sting fan, though, and Sting's going to retire That's on this show? That's a card you can play. I mean, we could talk about what you think they can do on the show to throw in more fans. Um, what can make this show special? What kind of matches can they give away? Um, you know, is that... Is it going to be like? Are they going to have UK wrestlers, you know, in prominent spots? Would that sell more tickets? I, I, I don't know. I don't think so, really. Um, it, could you, you know, CM Punk going to be in a major match? Probably. See people talk about Sting's retirement. Who,
2: who are the biggest names? Who are the biggest names AEW has who are originally from the UK? Jamie
3: Hayter's current women's champion. I would say Pac. Um, Pac. Saraya yep. Um Saraya, you know, you know, and that's one of those things where it's like N- Nigel McGinnis coming back. To oh the my god. I mean, I would I I would be flying tip. To- are so you, are, to- are you if flying Nigel there. comes back. <laughs> He teased it on. Uh, he said, "If we sell it out, um, he said he's,
2: he's clear. He's not. He, he can't. He's not unable. Oh, yeah." And he, he said, said "He um,
3: says if they sell out, he'll um, he'll come back." So I'm actually going to probably purchase all twenty thousand remaining tickets or whatever to uh, to ensure that Nigel comes back to wrestling. Um, I would think, like, if you're looking at like really the biggest British star, I mean, Soraya probably has the highest name value because of her time in WWE, but I don't really know. Like, you're not going to put her in like a main event match, I think, at this point. So I think like the biggest British star you have is probably Will Ospreay in the sense of having someone right. with main event credibility. Um, maybe he's not the most well-known, but if you're like this guy who is, you know, an English wrestler, who's one of the best wrestlers in the world and one of the biggest international Who's wrestlers. not an AW wrestler. He's a New yeah, Japan is not, wrestler at the moment, at least. I would not, he could, I would not be surprised if New Japan has a, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it's a full cross promotional show, but it wouldn't surprise me if as business partners, as as promotional partners to a degree that they wouldn't want to you want to make the show special, maybe throw it, you know, Okada and Tanahashi, maybe they're still tag champs. Maybe they defend the IWGP Tag Championships against somebody on the show. Like it wouldn't surprise me if they throw in just kind of a, a match like that to make it seem even more special. Um so uh there's um I mean there's an interesting one that people have talked about and we don't know his full contract status, but Drew McIntyre is apparently his contract is expiring. I think the last I heard was in a few months. Um, Sean reported yesterday, I believe it's it's at the end of the okay. this year, so that would that would go mm. beyond. So state. yeah, so if he if that if that's the case, then yes, he will not be on the show.
1: Um, Zach Saber Jr. Uh, is one that people keep bringing up. Him and Danielson is the dream match that everybody wants. Yep, Zack's another, another one. Um, um, they also have Trent Seven, don't they? AEW have Trent Seven under contract. I don't think so. I I know he did the uh, he did the one shot for him like that weekend. Wasn't Pretty there a, a Trent Seven is is all legal? Yeah, I anyway. think there was. Um, yeah,
3: but I mean, people. Dave, I mean, Dave has mentioned this. Like, Davey Boy Smith Junior. is available if you wanted to do like a British Bulldog kind of style, back at Wembley Stadium kind of thing. You could do that. I think that's kind of. Yeah. Have not Ted yeah, That's kind of like playing um, off of – that's celebrating another company's wrestling history. Um, Dynamite's
1: nephews are wrestling now too. I don't know. They, they could do something like that. Dynamite kids' nephews.
2: So in terms of money, so this is $7.7 7 million in, in, in revenue. I, I think this show is already going to be profitable then because I'm sure this, this show will cost multiple millions to put on, but probably not more than $7 million, yeah, Probably is it, well is under the that. figure
3: – I don't know how reputable it is, but I've heard 400000 to rent Wembley. I don't know how reputable that number I, is. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, I, 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 could, I could
2: imagine you know Tony getting – if not a deal on it, the reason why it's at Wembley Stadium is, is because the Jaguars have played at Wembley, Wembley Stadium a number of times. So maybe there's some sort of deal where it would have cost a wrestling promoter more if they were not – if they did not have that Yeah, I mean there's but, the
3: Jaguars play at Wembley. Tony is the owner of a – Premier League team in London, which means he probably has some sort of relationship with the English FA who own the stadium. Um, so there might be like a sweetheart deal involved in that. The, the NFL doesn't play their, I don't think they play any games at Wembley Stadium anymore. Um, they play them at the Tottenham Stadium uh, instead. But for a while, the Jaguars, the Jaguars have probably played about at least a half dozen games at Wembley Stadium
2: uh, over the years. But, but the point I want to make is that usually, especially shows that will be of this scale, uh, are hard to make profitable without media revenue, um, unless it's a really big ticket event, which this is. So even before we even consider how is this show going to be distributed, you know, live or, or you know, through through video, whether it's going to be a pay per view, whether it's going to be a streaming event on Max, and how, if that's a U.S. only situation on on streaming on Max, how is it going to be distributed in the rest of the world? Before we even consider any of that, this is probably already a profitable show, but I would expect. Uh, there's going to be news probably in two Wednesdays from now on June 17th when the WBD does its upfront. Maybe then we'll learn about not only AEW collision, but maybe about some
3: sort of presence on Max from AEW, maybe including the show, that would be my uh, prediction. Somebody in the chat is mentioning that the Jaguars still play at Wembley Stadium. Um, I didn't know that. I thought all the NFL games had moved to the Tottenham Stadium, but it looks like that the Jaguars specifically still play uh, their London game at Wembley Stadium, which adds to those ties. Um, I wanted to bring up, we've talked, to, but this has been mentioned a few times in the past um, about like AEW's version of WrestleMania and how like AEW has these four annual pay-per-view events, but there's nothing really that distinguishable about them that kind of makes them feel like major events every single year it really comes down to what's on the card and what kind of matches they have and things like that and the buildup for those shows. But um, could this be aew's wrestlemania because no no one the wrestlemania doesn't have to be in america but if they can turn into if they can turn this into an annual event at wembley stadium um and it has that kind of special feel to it every year and the, the name all in has
2: has that that history and that lineage in, in a similar way to the way that WrestleMania it's has first that kind history. of, this was the first big bet, yeah. even though obviously all in itself was not an not an AEW. Yeah, it event. it pre- predates the, the launch and of AEW. That, that
3: kind of adds um, to the lore and right and this, I, like I, I mentioned earlier, like the idea that you can go to the show and be a part of history. And that by, a te- and it, it kind of has a vibe similar to the start of AEW, which is, it's not just, The interest is not just coming from, oh, it's a wrestling show that will be a good wrestling show, and that's why you want to go to it. The selling point is in some ways the idea that it's a wrestling show, but it's more than that. You are participating in this history-making event, and if you're going to support this thing, you're supporting – like a more interesting, healthier wrestling environment than if you just go and support WWE who have billions and billions of dollars and are going to be successful, whether you participate or not. And as AEW has become more established as a wrestling company, and as it's had years and years of events, I think that appeal is kind of naturally waned off. In the sense of, if you go to AEW, it's kind of this established brand to a degree. So it's not really like, you don't have the same kind of like revolutionary energy that you had at the very beginning of the promotion. And certainly not at the the first All-In event, which was sold a lot on the idea of, we're going to try to change the world by having this independent wrestling event sell out a a basketball arena. And I do feel like All-In, this London show has kind of, by being a stadium show, has kind of reinvigorated the sense of if you this show is going to mean something historically if you go to it um, or even if you just watch it um and that's a powerful marketing sense for AEW. um and i think
2: i think there have been a number of shows in in the last i guess 2018 and forward that have been a big part of the draw with no you know they sell out or they sell very well with no matches announced uh but the part of the draw is that this is a historic monumental event all in was one Mm -hmm. Uh, MS, MSG show, the G1 sure. Supercard was another. Grand
3: Slam, um, I would say, would be uh, another
2: one that sure. kind of touched on that. Maybe Clash of the Castle to an extent. Mm-hmm. The first W pay per view in, in the country in decades. Right.
3: And you, you can um, only do and that and once. And-
2: WrestleMania, WrestleMania every year to an extent I has, has some of that. Right.
3: And that's my and point as far as like, can this establish all in as the signature show for our AEW every year? Where do you do it next year? What?
2: Where do
1: you do uh, it next London. year. London.
3: You run it, you run Wembley Stadium again you in London. You run Wembley Stadium every year. What every what year. What about trying
1: a stadium in the States? Because that would be the next big milestone.
3: You could do that too. I that's also possible. I, I think there's something about uh, I think I think if you deliver a really high quality show in Wembley, you get people excited to want to watch see so come back the next year for another major show. I mean it's uh it's, there's a lot of attractive things about running it in in that kind of market. It's closer to Europe, so you get a lot more flying fans. You will make it. You will turn it into almost like this pilgrimage thing for the hardcore U.S. fans that are like, oh, I've got to go. I'm not, I'm not just going to fly, you know, a couple hours somewhere. I'm going to fly across the ocean to go to the signature event. Uh, yeah, you could you could run it somewhere else. That's, that's certainly possible. But I think of it as kind of like an annual event, similar to how Double or Nothing and and all are, are always in the same cities. I think. Um, and it's kind of like, I think we talked about this, like forbidden door, those tickets sold out right away uh, for the, mm-hmm. the show in Toronto, and they sold out much quicker than like Double or nothings tickets are selling.
2: Um, There's fewer of them,
3: but yes, right. And we discussed like, kind of wh- why is that? And part of it is forbidden door feels like a special annual once a year event where it's this new Japan in AEW Super Show and these two major wrestling companies are going to collide and have interpromotional matches and things like that, as opposed to your typical, you know, AEW quarterly pay-per-view, which is generally expected to be a very good show, but there's nothing inherently special about that show each year. It really depends on the card. You
2: you, you don't think if if instead of Forbidden Door in Toronto, it was pick your other pay-per-view from AEW, it
3: wouldn't have done just as well? in the toronto market you know it's hot pos- it's possible i can't say i can't definitively say it wouldn't but if you look at look at um you know look at what double or nothing's ticket sales were in las vegas look at what revolution did at the chase center in, in san francisco yeah, But
2: those weren't first pay-per-view in the market those
3: are all chase the uh, uh, revolution chase course. was not
2: yeah that's that's true that 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 san francisco was, was right is
3: toronto a the first is time toronto like probably market. one of aw's like three or four best markets they could run a show in probably but i think mm-hmm. part of the reason is that forbidden door really stands out on the calendar as like this individual special event not unlike the way wrestlemania or the royal rumble stand out for wwe each year um and kind of sell based on that brand and we're gonna we're gonna sell out for door, no matches on the card. Nobody has any idea, you know, who the champions are even going to be at the at the time when the show rolls around. Um, but it still sells, and I think you want to have. That's a very powerful thing that WWE has. AEW has kind of been resistant to that based on how they've done their quarterly pay per views. But I do think introducing these new events. You know, for Bindor, now reviving the all in name and making it London, you're creating that kind of special annual event that people will really want to flock to and make in and, and, and sell it as an important event, regardless of star power, regardless of who's on the card. Um, you still got to deliver, you still got to have a good show. If for Bindor is an absolute mess and a terrible show with no star power, um, and the main event is like, you know, Yoshihashi versus. I mean, all the tickets are sold at this point. Why?
2: Why wouldn't you just save all your big matches? Um, it, going back to Toronto, and we talked at the time when they announced their two Rico Coliseum shows for Toronto, which is a, it was a Rampage and a Dynamite. Uh, I think the Rampage tickets had trouble selling. Um, is it? I think it's. I think it's clearer now that they missed an opportunity there to maybe do a pay per view around that time in Rogers Center, or even just you know do this as a thought experiment. If you do Forbidden Door for the first time. First first show in market in Toronto and say it's Forbidden Door or even any other pay-per-view, put it in the Rogers Center, how well does it do? I I think it does pretty well and it fills the stadium. Um,
3: Yeah. um, yeah. Dave mentioned The Observer. He talked about – I think it was the first all-out show and like the number of people that were in the queue to buy tickets for that show was significantly greater than the number of people that were in the queue uh, during the Wednesday presale for – the Wembley show there were like eight pre-sales for yeah. this by the way but like there was like, uh, like there's I think the number in the pre queue was like 80,000 for for the that that all-in show in, in Chicago the first uh oh we're talking 2008 the first I'm sorry the first all-out show I think is the okay. one that we're talking about the the second AEW pay-per-view after Double or Nothing um sorry. that show did you know if you go by just the number of people in a queue compared to this Wembley show, which we know we now know that the Wembley show, the demand was big enough to fill a stadium, that they really could have run a probably large stadium in the U.S. for that all-out, uh, that first-ever all-out show. Um, and they missed that opportunity. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's been something that, like you mentioned, the Skydome Toronto, their first show in Los Angeles at the Forum. Could they have run a, a larger venue in LA, maybe like the soccer stadium in Carson, California, and done like 25 or 30,000 fans? Um, had they been, have they been underestimating their ability to sell tickets the first time in a market? Um, this time they didn't, right? They could have run Craven Cottage, maybe. Um, they could have run. I will
2: say, what the. The one time we were – I think around the time that they'd run their first Toronto shows at Rico, and we were talking on here after about how maybe they missed an opportunity to run at Rogers Center. And I was, I was being questioned afterwards about what our obsession was with a, with running a stadium show. And I think this kind of proves that if you – running the stadium show itself is, is a draw in that people believe that there's history in the making here that they have to be a witness to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has this – in addition to selling lots of tickets and maybe selling – Yeah, media revenue you're also getting a great marketing value out of it too
3: yeah and i often thought that like if they were to do a stadium show it would probably in the u.s it would probably do really well inherently based on the value of we're going to try to do a stadium show and and every single person in the u.s that has any interest to ever traveling to a wrestling show um which is a quite a a large amount given how many people travel to wrestlemania every year um those people are going to have to come to the show because it's going to be the first ever, you know, non-WW, st- it's going to be the first non-WW stadium show in 25 plus years. Uh,
2: so how high can this go when it's all said and done? And assuming we have got three numbers on the record from Tony at, at this point, maybe he'll continue at least at the very end, say this is how many tickets it's sold. And he has been giving gate numbers before this as well. In any case, a- attendance, and let's just do attendance. How, where does this and in terms of paid ticket sales, since that's the number that we know right now,
3: uh, which is sixty. Without 000. knowing this full – it seems like they have a lot of options with seating. Um, I would say the absolute ceiling for this event would probably be 95,000 fans paid, just like that Tyson Fury fight. The absolute possible ceiling for it. I That is the highest. I would not it –
2: that's the capacity. I think that's the – Is that your prediction? I, 90, no, 000. it is not
3: my prediction. I don't know. Are you predicting
2: 90,179?
3: I, I don't I I was – before this Wembley show pre-sale, I, I have absolutely no idea how many tickets they're going to sell. They could sell 10,000 tickets and it wouldn't like be that shocking to me that they greatly overestimated their popularity in London or they could sell as many tickets as they ended up selling and that wouldn't also super, super surprise me. I have absolutely no idea. But I'm just going from a hypothetical. If we look at like what is a major – Scale boxing event do at Wembley, and it looks like it's around ninety five thousand paid or whatever. Um, that's what I imagine the capacity is with, you know, minimal staging and is things. Is that like a that. real number that
2: that uh, the ESPN boxing reporter was referencing?
3: Um, well, we he seemed to, he to only number. have factual information in that tweet, so I wouldn't, I, I don't think that uh, he would be um, incorrect on that. No, but that's the number. I mean, the, Wembley does over a hundred thousand for soccer, um, so. Okay. The stadium itself is is capable of building. It's not it's not like a um you know a WWE number where it's, it's it's a much higher number than there are possible seats even if you count for the field. But I I believe at this
2: point they can do something over 70.
3: Like like, the like can they actually sell those tickets? Um like is, is a bigger question i'm thinking like what is the absolute ceiling they come out. they have stings retirement match they have kenny omega versus cm punk they bring in mercedes monet and she's wrestling jamie hater they're doing like absolutely everything to have as big of a show they they pay bill goldberg a bunch of money to come in they they pay the rock to come in like what is like the actual crazy thing that they could do to to sell the absolute max tickets probably be about ninety five thousand. um uh, realistically maybe 70 but again i don't know i don't know what that ticket market is going to be. I don't know if there's going to be people in, in London. I have who, who live in that area have told me that this event could do a big walk-up business. If there's a lot of hype going into it and people are in the city are buzzing about this big wrestling show at Wembley, um, could it do a much larger walk-up business than we've seen other. What if
2: it rains though?
3: AEW shows? What if it
2: rains and that kills the walk-up?
3: Oh. Wembley might, does Wembley have
2: a roof? It looks like it's got some sort of co- retractable something on it. Uh, yeah, it's if we put the image back on the I don't know here, if it, covers, it can it,
3: actually it, cover during games. I, I think
2: some of it. I think maybe at least the it looks like the the you know the stands can at least be covered. I don't know about the field, but it looks like the stands can be covered. And obviously, there would be people on the floor on the field in a wrestling event.
3: It has a, like a partially um, retractable roof, um, that's kind of used more for like sunlight purposes. What, what is like, this
2: big bowing structure over the stadium? Too? I've been wondering that look, looking at this image.
3: I don't know. Any don't guesses know. what this thing is? This is the new Wembley. It's not the old yeah.
1: Wembley. Um, the um. Uh, um so. We did have a super chat real quick because we were talking. We were talking okay. about okay. like okay. how well. Asked, is this the first summer that the roster is back and healthy?
3: Well, what knock we on wood. We got a long, yeah. We got a few months to go before that.
2: I w- I wouldn't count on it. No one. You, you'll never have a fully healthy roster in wrestling, unfortunately. Unless mm-hmm. you can't count on it. Um, what's um. And, and will CM Punk, CM Punk will probably have returned by then. Will he still be healthy at that at that time? Mm-hmm. Two months later, uh, we'll see. Um,
3: do you think? Um, what do you, we can talk about? This. What do you think is we talked about this a little bit um, on DMs earlier this week, Brandon? Like, what do you think the record is for highest paid attendance for a wrestling show?
2: I think WrestleMania 32 did about eighty thousand paid. Very close to it, something in that range. We know, we know because of the KPIs, it's in some
3: fairly wide. We said like, like the, the median. The median of the KPI range is right the, around eighty thousand. The median.
2: The median is seventy nine, and if you round up, it's eighty thousand. Um, and I think it's it's just a question what did WrestleMania three really do? Ninety three
3: thousand one hundred sixty seven.
2: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure WrestleMania sold. Sold WrestleMania three sold less than ninety three thousand. Did it sell? I think Dave at some point has reported 74,000 paid mm-hmm. at, at some point. The, Zane, the famous Zane Bresloff
3: number, which he once had written right. down on a piece of paper, but his wife threw it away during a, a, a cleanup of his garage or something like that. A famous lost um, bit of history. Dave had the actual WrestleMania 3 attendance, but it was thrown away during a, a garbage uh, a decluttering. But um, okay. yeah, so I guess and if I we don't think, have a concrete number, and if you want to take that median number, which. And I
2: think WrestleMania 20, 2019 is, is up there too for highest. Yeah. Paid for one of that So if
3: you want to take that median number of 79800 um, if you want to scoreboard watch uh, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that this show ends up potentially doing the highest paid attendance in wrestling history um, which would be quite the ac- I mean <laughs> the understatement would be quite the accomplishment
2: um, I mean if we're getting over 80,000 it's we can definitely at least speculate that it would be because I can't say with great confidence that any any event has ever sold 80,000 mm-hmm. tickets more than 80,000. Yeah, tickets, we
3: don't so. yeah, so we don't have that a, a concrete number to look at. But that's what I would be looking at. If I were to like how can we talk about this event being like historical in general? I would just say even even at the 60,000 figure, if they if they let's say they get to 70, let's say they do 10,000 more tickets over the next few months, 70,000 tickets paid attendance um for a, a one-night wrestling show is we're talking of like what, maybe five shows in history that have done that. Um, it, it's all wrestling. Yeah. We're course, talking yeah. just, a, and even most WrestleManias don't get to 70,000 paid. Um, they're most, they're not in venues big enough um, for the most part, but they have, um, that's, we're talking about really serious, you know, we're going to remember this attendance in 50 years kind of level event. Um,
2: and, and can, can we, question here because i've gotten some questions about it um perhaps unsolicited questions what what credibility or what how how hard should we rely can we rely on tony's own claims here at that i mean it's not a publicly traded company i mean we is a publicly traded company and they put out some pretty questionable numbers to say the least about attendance themselves um what what are the incentives or disincentives for for tony to be truthful here about this paid attendance number
3: um, he could obviously be lying because he's a wrestling promoter, and uh, he and promoters promote. he would not. I, Brandon, I'm, this is this might break be some breaking news here, but he would not be the first wrestling promoter to exaggerate uh, the attendance of an event. Um, mm-hmm.
2: We know Tokyo Dome attendance, which we believe this this number would surpass all Tokyo Dome attendances for wrestling ever, which we believe are all under sixty thousand mm-hmm. at most, maybe fifty five, maybe high fifties at the, at the absolute most. And so for the real capacity, despite Noki final being announced at 70,000 or something.
3: And so um, he could be lying Um, historic. Like if you study Tony's patterns, like it's very rare for him to give concrete numbers. Like I could see him talking about like, we sold a ton of tickets. We're already past our gate record. We're going to be one of them. This is going to be one of the biggest shows of the, like in, in recent wrestling history. The fact that he went, he gave us, a real number of tickets sold or or yeah, actually he, he gave us a rough number of tickets sold, right? Approx. we know that at least 60,000 tickets have been sold to take this tweet at face value. He also gave us a gate number, which um, is pretty mm-hmm. rare. Um,
2: In the past, he has said, I mean, t- to this point, AEW's only done gates that are just over mm-hmm. a million and he is, He's not got, gotten super specific down specific down to the hundred hundred thousand mark as he as he is here. Whoa. He's only said things to the effect of over a, well, million there, or a million. Wasn't
3: there an event like last year where he was like, if whoever is like puts us over the million dollar gate, we'll get like a special commemorative chair or something like that? Yeah, he they did, they like last they did year. a
1: whole thing for yeah,
3: yeah. Like we're we're at nine hundred and ninety two thousand. If whoever you know, so it's, a, mm-hmm. it's kind of like boost the ticket sales a little bit. Um, I would say like. If we take Tony's number and we also look at like research that people like WrestleTicks are doing on the ticket map and things like that, those numbers seem to, to to be in the same ballpark. So, I mean, did Tony buy all the tickets himself? Uh, if that's if if you wanted to be the crazy conspiracy wing of, of of pro wrestling Twitter, that's what you would say. But obviously, yeah. I don't think Tony bought all the tickets himself. Um, yeah, I, 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 I probably shouldn't have even good. said that because I don't even want to give that much.
1: We're going oh, to I, I unfortunately already saw
3: that out there
2: yeah we're gonna isolate that clip and, and attribute that to jesse Collins. yeah and send it send it
3: um, right to tony tag him in the tweet
2: i'll say like I, I think they're the information that we've tried to get about pay-per-view buys has been questionable to me in, in for the last couple pay per views. why i haven't really updated that chart where he, he kind of led media to believe that it that you know one of the pay-per-views did 140 or something like that when i i think it did under 140. um pay-per-view is a more malleable Influx number, as opposed to ticket sales, where you don't really know what your pay-per-view buy number is for months and months after the event. Um, I'm 100 percent sure that they know exactly what the what the paid ticket sales number is by going into Ticketmaster's client only app, and it will tell you how many tickets you have sold. So there's no ambiguity or projections about this number. Um, and, and I've been told separately that this 60,000 is is true by somebody who I believe is telling me the truth.
1: Oh, do they have a uh, Dynamite's announced for like that week before or after? Do you think they possibly could be running like a Dynamite or a Rampage taping or Collision, uh, in the UK during that time period too?
3: It would make all the sense in the world because you're going to have so many flying craft people that are going to be there. So I would be. I mean, WWE is running the O2, which is I believe the biggest indoor stadium in um in London. London. Uh, so uh, they could run wrestling there if they wanted to. Um, could they, could they run a Wembley show where they, they, they tape off a bunch of stuff and they sell 20,000, 30,000 tickets to a dynamite taping the night before or a collision the night, the day before, um, cause they're already gonna have the stage set up and everything like that. Um, could they run it at Craven Cottage or another venue in London? Um, I think it would make all the sense in the world, Chris, to have, you're going to have so many fans flying in. I'm sure we're going to see some level of independent wrestling shows popping up. I believe Rev Pro um, might have already announced some shows, or Progress have already announced planned shows for, for that weekend. I'm sure there's going to be some level of kind of uh, other wrestling going
1: on yeah, that weekend. Yeah, there will be a convention. So the 27th, probably, is it? I would imagine. The-
3: yeah
2: oh yeah The twenty seventh is a, is a Sunday, so that would work, and if you've ended up doing like a dynamite on the Wednesday, a rampage on the Friday if they're still taping rampage separately, and then a, on a Saturday, the collision
3: perhaps. you could potentially um, go to other cities in if you're going to be there on Wednesday, you could tape uh a, an episode of Dynamite in Manchester um will this be the the beginning of the rebirth of Brit Russ I don't know I don't know if Nigel, if Nigel comes out of retirement
2: yes um. And, and the most important question of all, perhaps, what will WWE run on this weekend, coincidentally? Uh, so SummerSlam already, will already have happened on August 5th, I think it is. So that will have, will have happened way in the past. So it would be pretty quick to do another
1: PLE. again. Summer Crown Jewel, maybe?
3: That will probably
2: okay. happen in the fall. That will probably happen in October or November.
1: Clash at
3: the Castle 2 at um, London Stadium in, in London on the same day.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there are any WPLEs announced beyond SummerSlam at this point. Yeah. I don't, that's kind of the interesting. Products. They don't have
3: that whole, they haven't announced it and we're already in May. So,
2: um, yeah. And, 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 you know, we didn't get our, um, live event touring schedule as as a result of, of a lawsuit against John Doe's for the, you know, the, the preemptive lawsuit that they usually file every year ahead of WrestleMania to, to, you know, to press charges to prevent bootleg uh, venue merch sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just usually that would give it away, um, but I don't know. I don't know where that they're say September or perhaps yeah, like, it would maybe an NXT. Usually, what gets thrown in
3: there is an it's going to be band. an NXT, which will be weirdly on a Sunday afternoon for some reason. Um, yeah, they will. Uh, I mean, they'll probably they'll probably do something now. They're going to London for Money in the Bank. When is it? That? That's in June. That's next right. month, right? Money in the
2: Bank is, I believe, July. Um, I'm looking July first. All
3: right, so they're they're already running their – and that's sold out yeah, well in advance, yeah. So they're already running their event, you know, the month before
2: in the UK, and, and they're staying for to go to Cardiff the following day for a house show. Mm-hmm. We should mention too, WWE did, did great international house show business. They did really strong international house house show business last week or so. Um, yeah, they sold out Paris the UK again. and France.
3: Yeah, I, I expect. I mean, the thing with WWE is they're really looking to be paid and wooed by these these places to have these big events. Um, And so that kind of throws in like a monkey wrench into like, could WWE run Wembley Stadium next year to to, to top AEW to to let everyone know? And they possibly could. I'm sure a WWE pay-per-view event at Wembley Stadium would do very, very well. Um, But if London doesn't want to pay them the, you know, a couple million dollars and to kind of lure them there the way that they seem to be, Mm -hmm. that seems to be if they want to hold the international pay-per-view event, they want to run, they want to have it. They want to be paid because right, the going price appears to be you know, Royal Rumble. Orlando or Orange
2: County has approved eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a bid. Puerto Rico gave them one point eight million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, San Antonio gave them something for this year. Tax dollars. It, Cardiff gave them work. something. And and the notion is and it, and I I mean I have reason to believe it it pays off in terms of you know the the whole presentation which is online uh, for the for Orange County is hey look this is going to result in thousands of, of hotel rooms being rented and, and that's going to more than pay for the $850,000 that we invest yeah. In, yeah. in this bid in addition to the marketing value of – and if you notice on, on the, uh, the Backlash show, which I maybe we'll start talking about in a moment, um, there were a number of times during the broadcast where they had like these, these big wide landscape shots of like the beach and uh, Corey Graves is talking about what an awesome time he had at the casino
3: um, this was also a, a tourism commercial yeah. for, for San Juan, Puerto Rico. Yeah, no, they, and they, we've seen that a few times before. I mean, obviously most notably in the Saudi Arabia shows, but we've seen them right. kind of, these ideas that they're not just, you know, showing one camera shot, like, oh, we're here in, in, in you know, you know, Tampa, Florida. It's like, we're look at all the stuff you can do here, come to Puerto Rico. And now that they have ads during the events, um, yeah, this this is this
2: what you're seeing on video here is not the shot itself, but it was something very similar to this. Like, yeah. I got this from the Puerto Rico tourism. Yeah. Website.
3: That's like the fort in, in, in San Juan. The um, uh, yeah, and like with, with Orlando, like the Orlando, like you meant you have the Orange County slide. I don't know if you want to bring that up, but this is um, find it. basically the pitch for Royal Rumble to be in Orlando. Um, I'll say this like just Orlando and Orange County, Florida are a very unique entity. In that like, it's a huge tourism. Tour, yeah, like town, we talked about obviously. like London being a tourism city and having a lot of hotels. Like Orlando's entire economy is based off of people flying there to do stuff that's there, whether that is going to places like Disney World or Universal Studios. Um, but they also host a ton of conventions, work conferences, special events um across the world. So
2: just just to support Governor Ron DeSantis.
3: Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> This is um, but this is standard practice for for Orlando. They they they're almost like, and I know other cities have done the, have done before, but Orlando is like the master of doing this, I guess.
2: Um, and they're uh, and and what this this slide shows is it it's showing the CPMS for, I, I'm guessing what's on what what's airing on Peacock, and you know if you look at the what they call P18 plus, they're they're selling uh advertisements for thirty seven dollars per thousand viewers. And they're showing this in the, in the slide to, to government officials who are weighing whether to approve an $850,000 bid. They're, they're showing this to them to say, Hey, look, this is, we'll, 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 give this bid, but we'll also get some of this marketing value, which has this value to it. And if it's the Royal Rumble, there's going to be over a million people apparently watching it. And if you, I don't know, they're not going to do the math on air, but it's, it's, you know, many thousands of dollars in, in marketing value and in, in essentially advertising value for, uh, you know, to show and perhaps Corey Graves and Michael Cole to talk about how wonderful
3: Orlando is and you should really visit it you'll have a great time you can get 73 billion views on YouTube with there with your commercial
2: unquestionably mm-hmm. um, but yeah so
3: in Orlando is like an area that's uniquely equipped I guess for handling these kind of things from a hotel perspective yes. from having rent a cars from having transportation to get people to and from these events um, yeah so let's let's talk about backlash
2: somewhat. if you want to Follow up with with a question about um the the AEW All In show. We'll we'll definitely take that at the end. Um, so so Backlash they did in in Puerto Rico they did both SmackDown and Backlash the following night. Um, I've seen some pictures from the crowd from fans who were in the crowd on SmackDown. It looks like there were some empty seats uh, for SmackDown. Maybe there's just a lot of comps being given away. Um, anyway, WrestleTix has the SmackDown at sixteen thousand nine hundred. Uh, WrestleTix has the Backlash the PLE at seventeen thousand three hundred and ninety. Um, I was happy to see a very small entrance stage, no gargantuan, massive screen and led ramp. This was a very narrow, n- narrow entranceway. So more seats were available. Like, you know, because of that, um, it's
3: weird how they can do that.
2: Yes. And, um, Michael Cole said on, on, the broadcast said something over 17,000. Um, I forget what the number was. It was a little bit higher than this number on the screen that WrestleTix had has 17,390. Um, I have sent a public records request to uh, to the public information officer uh, for, for this event. So maybe we'll see if we get some more uh, records related to attendance and ticket sales and things like that. Um, the crowd, as you probably heard, was super hot. Um, it, I think it was a, a really, first of all, it was a really hot crowd. And these were really, these were fans who were really excited to see people who were of, of Puerto Rican descent, like Bad Bunny and Zelina Vega. Um, and I thought it was like a really great sort of, cultural moment for wrestling and and to see wrestling in this different culture where people are super excited. And this place has, has a wrestling history of its own and it got Savio Vega coming back and, and, and Carlito, um, and, and Chris Zellner was saying something to this effect on on Twitter that it would be really fun to see, you know, see this replicated and it c- kind of already has. But to see this replicated, you know, say in Mexico, we got Rey Mysterio. I mean, do, he was suggesting do do hair versus mask, uh, Rey versus Dominic in, in Mexico or something like that. But well, if, Mexican- mean, if you look at the last 12, if you look at the last 12 months, there have been three really good WPLEs in in Cardiff, in the UK, you know, sort of featuring locals out there, Richard McIntyre. uh in Montreal, I was there live uh, for this, the Sami Zayn match with Roman Reigns. It was an excellent show. And then this one uh, in, in Puerto Rico. So it's uh, and if you look back at the, at the history of, of – like what are the greatest WWE pay-per-views of all time uh, outside of WrestleManias, let's say? And the first ones that come to mind for me are like Money in the Bank 2011 in Chicago with Punk and Canadian Stampede in Calgary with The Hearts.
3: Right. When a wrestler has a unique connection with an audience, it usually creates – A very interesting atmosphere. Um, I think, like, you saw it to a degree with Sami Zayn in Montreal for sure, but a lot of that was based on Sami Zayn himself was just over everywhere. Uh, What was really interesting to me was, like, Carlito gets, like, this this Hulk Hogan 1985 era pop for coming out. Carlito's not a particularly significant figure in WWE history. He kind of hadn't been teased to showing up. Like, it's not like Carlito is this gigantic star, but to these people who were not expecting him, He was because he's the son of Carlos Colon and he's a legend in his own right in Puerto Rico. And there's a really strong cultural identity with those kind of wrestlers and that style of wrestling that the fans instantly recognized and treated him like he was a god. Um, And Bad Bunny is almost a totally he's like a a totally different scale of celebrity in Puerto Rico. I I mean, I assume so. Mm -hmm. I haven't been to Puerto Rico, but I imagine he is, you know, not really comparable to anyone in the U.S. when it comes to his Appeal and star power in Puerto Rico And so it creates this You know amazing atmosphere That is exciting and people like to watch it I don't know if that can be recreated In the United States Um, I don't know what wrestlers that I don't know what American wrestlers that they have That have that kind of connection WWE's you know historically been committed To not putting people over In their hometown They're not committed to even making people's hometowns A really big deal all the time Um, And I think it has hurt them to a degree um
2: and and that's by by my impression just a habit of vince and i I don't i I, lord knows why he he books that way um it's just are are there other instances of this because in a lot of ways this plays to their their notion of global expansion international expansion and the notion perhaps that even they're going to do developmental around around the world and cultivate all these localized areas um australia is one maybe i mean you have rhea ripley who's an australian talent um today india eventually do they, there's no standout indian talent to me but maybe eventually
3: yeah do they do they present rhea ripley as like an australian i mean she's from australia and i and again i don't want to i don't think they should like she shouldn't be out there wearing like the outback jack of things like that but but like um we definitely I mean, look. I mean, imagine a year from now where she's face and they go there and it's we, huge. WWE, you know, we've seen it with some of the people that they've hired as developmental prospects. They would love to have, um, an Indian wrestler who was,
2: they could go to Nigeria for almost finally give almost his moment. Um
3: Yes. Uh, well, th- and the, uh, there's another aspect of how financially successful would, are those markets.
2: And what right. Kind of the value. ticket prices will have, will be have to scale right. to the economy, and that's and one of the, cha- the issue with India is selling. You know, them. they ran their they scheduled two events in twenty seventeen during the Jinder Mahal era, mm-hmm. and they had to cancel one of the
3: events. Yeah, which tells if you they how. Could, well if they could, if they could get went. money from the Indian government to run the show, they'd probably be happy to do it. I mean, certainly that's what they do in, in Saudi Arabia, um, but I, I do think you know they 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 want to. I am sure WWE sincerely wants to have a very globalized, diverse set of top stars. They'd love to have one top American star and one top British star and one top Mexican star and one top one Indian star. Um, but the truth is they're not particularly good at making stars, especially from performance center trainees. So they've made the, they've hired people to try to put that, put those, put people in those roles, but those people don't learn fast enough. They don't get over. And their results are usually disappointing. So it all comes back down to talent development. And in in, in this case, they just got a celebrity who was already naturally going to be a huge star with a natural connection with the audience and had him do a celebrity wrestling match. And credit to Bad Bunny, he worked very hard. He was willing to take bumps. He's willing to do all sorts of stuff to get him to. to, to, The the Performance Center is,
2: is excellent at training people like Logan Paul and Bad Bunny to have matches that are sort of main event style right.
3: matches. Right, but we're also talking about people like the huge <laughs> advantage Bad Bunny has in in wrestling as opposed to anyone from the Performance Center is that he and, and steps Logan out. And Logan Paul's done quite well, too. And Logan Paul is almost to a lesser extent. Um, and Logan when it Paul, comes to teaching people what, the fundamentals and having Logan, more, and more basic What matches. Logan Paul has done has athletically, I think, is a lot more impressive than
2: than. Uh, and he's a he's a natural athlete yeah and and bad but bad bunny's athletic enough to do what what he's doing right but but what
3: the advantage bad bunny has over anyone else is he steps through the curtain and he's just this gigantic huge star because especially in puerto rico he's a huge star in entertainment and so he is naturally he can do like oh he does like a tornado ddt or he does a canadian destroyer which are stuff that kind of a lot of people can do with a good base um those are going to get huge props because they already see him as a huge star, which is like the hardest thing to do in wrestling is to convince the audience to see you as a huge star. It usually takes an extreme amount of charisma and talents as a wrestling performer and also extremely good booking to get someone into that position. But you can kind of shortcut that by having a celebrity like Bad Bunny. And so it's hard for me to kind of compare like, oh, the performance center is good at, at a, at having these celebrity matches together, which is, which is true. Like the performance, they're good at teaching celebrities how to do these spots and they're well laid out, but it's really the, the cheat code here is you're using somebody who's already viewed as a huge star, which you can't do with your typical performance center trainee.
2: But I mean, I would say like their execution looks good, good enough for, for what they're being asked to do. And I think there's, I think it's, it's, it indicates something, doesn't it? That like, when it comes to the traditional, you know, wrestler who's in developmental, who's supposed to start out square one and start having matches and start getting over, it's 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 about more than being over, isn't it? Right, like the way that those that, that a lot of those wrestlers look on NXT TV is, you know, even if you adjust it for you know the the overness of of you know how they're received, they they look a lot less prepared than Logan Paul and. Bad Bunny look.
3: Right, and, and I think there's, that's because there's something to unpack there that's very interesting. Well, and I think part of it is Logan Paul and especially Bad Bunny are naturally extremely charismatic people. That's why they've, part of the reason they've been successful in their non-pro wrestling endeavors, right? Um, but, uh, and and when, because they're a big celebrity, there's way more rope and leeway for them to be themselves. So they often come across as much more natural and organic than the WWE trainees who are coming in at the Performance Center and kind of being programmed to be a certain way. So you take someone like Bad Bunny and Logan Paul and they don't have to kind of, I guess, abide by the rules um, the same way that your Performance Center who has this drilled into their head and gets told what the right thing to do and what the wrong thing to do is. They're kind of, the celebrities come in and they're allowed to be themselves. And it's really apparent, I think, when you look at this. You could say the same thing about Brock. Like Brock is a charismatic person. Um, or Goldberg. Remember, like Goldberg. Like Goldberg came out and like when he came back, Goldberg's promos were like actually really good. And part of it was because he was just allowed to be Bill Goldberg and talk like himself and and be an authentic version of. Um, and nobody put a gold wig on him. Yeah, and he didn't have. But like, and it's like, wow, Goldberg is he's actually a good promo now. Wow, I didn't expect that. And a lot of it was just because Goldberg was allowed to be himself. He was this you know guy with a gray beard that's going to kick the shit out of you. And people responded to that as opposed to being programmed to talk the same kind of way as everyone else does in WWE. And I think that's true for the celebrities as well. People like Bad Bunny and Logan Paul are just allowed to be themselves. And the version of themselves is extremely charismatic, successful entertainers that are millionaires. And, you know, that translates.
1: I think... Well, I was but. just going to say, we have a super chat about the crowd uh, at, at Backlash uh, This is from Dallar Abdi. He goes, this is minor, but the Backlash crowd didn't look like it was very predominantly males. And there was a lot less of that look of stereotypical wrestling. That's
2: believable. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I I didn't get a good look at, you know, all 17,000 yeah. people or whatever were there. but And it some, some of it may have been family members of like Selena Vega or something like that. But
3: yeah just family members of um, selena vega there's that, something to that that made up the 17,000. No, but no but they, her,
2: her family members were in the front row and were shown on camera yeah definitely.
3: i mean i think having um, bad bunny there you maybe attract a different type of yeah. wrestling or a different type of audience than a typical wrestling show historically has puerto rican wrestling attracted more of a female demographic than typical american traditional wrestling i don't know um did, did we I, I didn't watch the full show last night did was anyone hit with any batteries um not that Dom Mysterio wasn't pelted um, with some C batteries.
2: Since since Vince took over wrestling and revolutionized it, everything's been okay as far as batteries go. Okay. Um, but oh, it's just to dwell on the, the, the developmental point for a, a minute longer. I I think, and this is part of my my broader philosophy slash suspicion about power in wrestling. That I think power in wrestling is not that is not that smart and power. Therefore doesn't educate or in this case, train people that well. They're good at doing the non-traditional type of training of celebrities who, because they're celebrities, don't have to go through the initiation process that new recruits at the, at the NXT level have to go through. So, but the, so the NXT recruits, what they have to go through is this more traditional application of the way that things are that And apparently doesn't, I mean, who, who are, who are the, the great, promising, up and coming talents that are in NXT who are in developmental right now? It's not that many who are obvious to me. And I think others would agree. Um, so I I just think the sort of the hubris that W is because they're the biggest company, because they have the most resources, which they definitely do that they, that they should somehow be able to be the ones who are best at training people, uh, from scratch has, I mean, 10 years into the performance center has, I would say not, not clearly not been the case. And you can look at a lot of other companies or, you know, sources around the world that have been more effective over the same amount of time. Um, yeah. And I just, I think, you know, b- power and wrestling, it tends to be very stupid. And so you end up not having very challenging approaches to training and educating people. It's more about how, making sure that people are instilled with values of power rather than instilled with The equipment that they need to get over in this moment. Do you
3: think if Bad Bunny spent a year at the performance center, going through all the drills that your typical if nobody knew he was Bad Bunny, right? I'm just saying hypothetically, like the performer, he's now Mm -hmm. he spends a year, you know, getting instructed: do this, don't do this. This is what you should do. This is what you can't shouldn't do. That kind of, um, and he is totally like like many of these people, totally subservient to what WWE wants them to do. Um, And he comes out. Do you think? He is a better performer than he is right now he 'd almost certainly be better at like fundamentals. He'd maybe hit the ropes better and his his there'd be more crispness in his strengths and things like yeah. that. but would he be like as charismatic or feel like as special of a star um if he had spent a year doing that
2: i can 't definitely say yes I think he, he you know I think a lot of people who train there you learn things that, that complicate their ability to perform and get over, uh, more so than what we see these people who sort of jump the whole process or some of the more successful people who are trained outside of the W system. Um, okay. One other thing I wanted to discuss here. Um, there was blood on this show at the very end. So the main event was Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes. And, uh, Lesnar took a bump into the unprotected turnbuckle and he bled. I don't know if, if he was running a razor across his head here. Uh, but the commentators even acknowledged the blood. So I don't know if Walt Pisick from Lightshed has, has, has heard about this or not, but he should, he'll be very pleased to know that there was, in fact, blood and guts on this premium live event. And it was pretty late in the night. I think it was around 11 o'clock PM. So the kids were definitely in bed by then. Um, the comp- you know, Michael Cole said the word blood. Either him or Corey Graves did. And one of them said the word crimp, you know, the phrase crimson mask, there was explicit acknowledgement of the blood here, which is very unusual to my memory for WWE. And I just want to make a formal offer to Mattel. If you would like to, um, have a partnership with us, a sponsorship, perhaps if you want to make Criscola action figures, there's no blood on this program.
3: Yeah. There will be no one, uh, blading on this program. Um did they so so you have those photos, those are black and white, right? So are the, was those repurposed. Because from, because
2: this is a wholesome this is a wholesome family program.
3: So did they I haven't seen it. Did they tweet out any of the blood? Like did they I don't know. Um you know a few years ago Brock Lesnar There's different rules for Brock yeah, Lesnar. Yeah, a few with years blood, ago Brock Lesnar, you know, cut open Randy Wharton in what seemed to be a preordained attempt to get blood the hard way. Um, yeah, I was there live and he took his elbow and just smashed it over his head. And it, yeah, it was, yeah. God forbid someone, me, you know, takes a little bit, cuts them forehead a little bit uh, on their own, but rather have a 290 pound MMA fighter bash a guy in with his elbow. That's, that's not barbaric.
2: And, and I believe the Hell in the Cell match that Lesnar and Undertaker had, I think 2016, 17, anyway, uh, that at some point in the last few years, they had a Hell in the Cell match and there was blood in a way that was like I don't know that that was either purposefully done hard way or that was a blade. Um, so that's interesting. Maybe a sign there of was things blood to come to the softening first, if it's first. late in the
3: night and PLE. Uh, in Puerto Rico, they had to. Um, I think legally that was probably part of the agreement with the Puerto Rican Torres.
2: Yeah, Cody in, in there too. You had to have blood.
3: Yeah, it's, it's the Carlos Colon clause, the CCC. It's you ha- if you're having a wrestling I think, show. I think Moxley, Moxley was working an indie
2: show in Ohio. He was bleeding. So you, you had to one up him.
3: Um, in the first Brock Lesnar John Cena match when he first came back at Extreme Rules did not that also have blood in it? I don't know. That's like 2013 we're yeah. talking now. But we you, we can go back to WrestleMania right where Finn Balor um accidentally mm-hmm. gets split open badly with the ladder and they went out of their way to make sure. Yes. Now granted, he he probably maybe required real medical attention at the time because he they stapled yeah, him. Yeah, he right got there. a really nasty gash, but yes did Walt Pysik sh- wanted to see, see the blood. Yeah. He was upset. They didn't show the um. They didn't show like they tried as very hard to not show any blood at all in that broadcast, and that was only they put put the camera on on yeah. edge, just sort was, of hovering. Yeah. That and that was only a month ago. So whether there's <laughs> right. a doctor in coming or not, there's different rules for Brock. Um,
2: well, well, I mean, in, in in this this interview with Lightshed that I'm making jokes about here, when Walt Pysik brought brought up the issue with the, with the Edge and Valor mash, Nick did say something to the effect of, yeah, we're it's something we're looking at. And if it's later in the night, maybe we can do, you didn't say it like this, but maybe we can do things that are more violent or mm-hmm. show blood. Who knows what he's, how, what, what he's basing that comment on, but he did say that. Is, um, okay.
3: Yeah.
2: No, that, no, I was
3: about to say the same thing.
2: Okay. Okay. We'll uh, we'll go to the general now. This is what I did on my Friday morning driving into work. I listened to the Warner Brothers Discovery earnings call with David Zaslov talking about artillery, talking about ammo, talking about battling against churn. Um, I'll I'll read parts of this summary from John Pollock post-wrestling. WBD released its first quarter earnings on Friday um, and said that uh, a key item being that its streaming business would be profitable this year, one year ahead of schedule as we know, uh, Netflix is basically the only streaming business that's profitable and it's, it's the oldest streaming business that's, that's profitable. I think we talked, maybe it was last week about how, what is it? Peacock's going to lose a billion dollars this year and this is going to be the peak of their losses and they hope that their losses will diminish in time after, after this year. Um, the company generated 10 point uh, $7 billion in revenue. They're trying to deleverage their debt for its U S streaming business. The company made $50 million this quarter and rose to $705 million year over year. WBD is gearing up for the relaunch of its streaming service max, which is currently called HBO max. Uh, it's gonna be rebranded in June and, or no, in, in May, I think in a couple of weeks, actually, uh, company CEO, David Zaslow stated that WBD would be quote unquote disciplined when it comes to the renegotiations for NBA rights, which expire in 2024, 2025, and the WBD stock reacted well. Um, so just, uh, just to note that, you know, this was news from WBD that it's that it, it may actually be able to make money in, in streaming, which has been. One of the big questions around media in this transition from behavior happening through traditional tv and now behavior moving over more so and will continue to move over to streaming how is it going to be profitable because mostly streaming businesses aren't profitable well they're on track already earlier than expected to be profitable and this is wbd who's been so so focused along with gunner the cfo of wbd talking about cost discipline not more better content so they're, they're trying to be very conservative with how they spend money and strategic. And maybe this is, maybe things are looking better for streaming overall than we had expected up to this point in terms of finances.
3: I don't know the answer to this, um, and I don't know if you do either, but is it possible like HBO, when we talk about profitability of a streaming service, does, does HBO Max and Discovery, does there, what, what are the biggest um, drivers of programming on, on HBO Max and Discovery? Um, they're mostly probably shows, or or perhaps movies, but probably shows that are produced by uh, HBO for for the still you know cable na- network HBO, right? Like House of the Dragon or Succession Sessions is on still HBO. on um, um, traditional network, yeah. Right. So these major HBO shows, like, is the um, people are subscribing to HBO Max to watch those shows, but. Is HBO Max, the streaming service, paying for the production of those shows, or is that coming from a separate, you know, HBO... Yeah. I
2: guess what you're saying is, how, how is the accounting being done?
3: Right, like, as is, opposed is some to... Of the,
2: is some of that cost being attributed to the streaming yeah. business As opposed not? to, I don't, like,
3: Netflix or Disney Plus. I would like. suggest...
2: This is a publicly traded company, and I would suggest there's, there's probably strict rules around how that accounting mm-hmm. needs to be done, so... And, and, and but know, but I trying sure to trust that, that process. If it's
3: all being factored into the broader HBO Max or Warner Brothers Discovery umbrella they can disclose that. But if we're just talking specifically, Oh, HBO Max, streaming service, you know, is the, are they spending the same amount of production? uh, If you don't count
2: any expenses, everything's profitable.
3: Um, (laughs) as well, like as opposed to like Netflix, right? Like Netflix is paying to, it's all one business. Yeah, And and into a lesser, like Disney plus is probably producing most of their content for Disney plus, like the star Wars TV shows and the Marvel shows and things like that. Um, I guess if you know if it checks out, if we know Netflix is profitable, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they're the only one. Well, if you look at this chart, HBO Max Discovery appears to be um, the next highest up. Of yeah. subscribers, and they so.
2: did disclose there's there's about four million subscribers who are subscribed to both currently HBO Max and Discovery. So you can knock this fifty five million or so down down to about let's say fifty million, and that would still put it just over um, Hulu. So th- and they, they said that they do expect when they merge these two services officially and, and HBO Max becomes just Max and all the Max subscribers will suddenly have access to the Discovery Plus content, you can still be a Discovery Plus subscriber only. What are you going to do? What's your household going to do when uh, Max becomes both the home of Discovery Plus content H- and
1: HBO content?
2: So, I mean... Are you going to drop to Discovery Plus and become a Max subscriber or are you going to keep Discovery Plus down? A uh,
1: uh, Max subscriber because I, I like a lot of the uh, HBO Max shows, so... Another thing that was significant,
2: I think, to, to our wrestling discussion is they talked about putting more news and sports on Max, which other than like, I don't know, the, what the John Oliver show? Maybe that's news. There's basically no news or sports on HBO Max, I think. Somebody in the chat telling me if there's ever been a sports broadcast on HBO Max and sports. I mean, that's maybe that's how they'll, maybe they'll use NBA to some extent if they renew NBA to any extent. Um, and maybe that's sort of where they're thinking and how. AEW may fit in in, into being on
3: max. And it it wouldn't surprise me at all if NBA or MLB playoff games or things like that are simulcast between, you know, your typical TBS and TNT and on HBO max the same way that um, NBCU does that with Peacock and events that are on NBC and and USA Um, CBS, you know, does it with events that are on maybe CBS network and Paramount. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if, they adopt the sim, basically what has become the standard practice. ESPN does it as well with ESPN and ESPN Plus. So that does seem to be the standard practice. Is we'll have, we'll pay for the NBA. We'll have it on TBS and TNT, but maybe we'll also have games to watch on HBO Max. So you don't have to subscribe necessarily to TBS and TNT to get these games. Maybe they'll have games that are just on TBS uh, or just on HBO Max.
2: And. The talking point is that with the NBA, and the NBA has an especially young demographic relative to other sports and that – so maybe especially well-suited for streaming, um, which NBA games basically don't live in any strict streaming place um, right now. Um, I could see, as we discussed, I could see Rampage especially if rampage is going to become this basically take over the, the duties of dark and darker elevation in terms of being this place where less important matches happen between, uh, you know, established talent and, and, uh, you know, extras, then maybe this is, uh, maybe rampage ends up being a component of AEW's presence on max. If that happens, which I think it will right.
3: Even if it, I mean, if rampage also could probably retain its time slot, if they're happy with the 10 o'clock on Friday numbers. Um, yeah. If they
2: don't have something better, more cost effective put in there. Okay, um, WrestleNomics uh, on Patreon is patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You get my weekly TV ratings reports. Uh, the weekly merchandise report, Steve Austin was number one for WWE this week. Um, the viewership spreadsheet is there. Podcast slides are there. I've been There hasn't been a Thursday podcast in a couple weeks. In these weeks where I'm doing a podcast with John Pollock of Post Wrestling, um, I might not, unless there's something big, I might not do a podcast that week. But if we don't have one of those, we, we will do one um just so i'm not overwhelmed and end up doing a thursday show where i have nothing to talk about uh, because i've already talked about it so that's the patreon patreon.com slash wrestlenomics and what more do we have to talk about here and if you want to put in a super chat you certainly can um i have a bunch of w stats here i don't know if we need to talk about this in terms well i guess we could say this uh the smackdown Gull and i were talking just before we went on air here the smackdown fast affiliate looks especially low and i don't know if there's any external factor that i need to consider here but usually it's 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 the case that there's some external factor causing it to be too high. In any case, this looks like it could be when the final rating is reported on Monday, be the lowest SmackDown in many months, uh, in terms of at least total viewership. Um, what was on, on, on Friday that could have been competition? I know there was basketball. Goal was, was discovering that there was basketball on um, was it ESPN. Yeah, it was, so it was, yeah, Sixers, but it wasn't, wasn't Lakers and, um, Warriors though. The no, match. no, no, it wasn't. It was
3: Sixers and Celtics yep. um and then mm-hmm. Nuggets had uh, Celtics deal.
1: Yeah.
3: Um the Celtics won. They are now up 2 games to 1 in their series against okay. the 76ers and they play game 4 um this Sunday uh starting at 3:30 so 3 hours from now.
2: Okay. So this was just a the day- And I don't know any reason why this would be a false impression, but this looks like an especially low SmackDown number. And they went against, you know, in these other, you know, previous weeks in the immediate past year, they were going against NBA games that are being simulcast on ABC and ESPN. Uh, This was only, this, you know, Shark Tank was on ABC. I don't know if that was like a season premiere of Shark Tank or something like that, but, you know, they've gone against what seemed like tougher competition to me. Well, Well, and it looks, final
3: numbers come out on Monday. It does look, it looks extremely bad compared to last week, which obviously the draft um, held a lot of appeal to people, but it does also doesn't, it doesn't look that bad when If you contrast it with the week before that and kind of closer to where they were kind of before the lead up to WrestleMania. So is this kind of to be expected with the post WrestleMania, you know, downturn interest, Roman Reigns isn't on the show. Um, he's on next week though. He's back. Right. So that'll be a good, a good thing to see how that impacts him. Cody is, uh, well, that's in the starting the title tournament, right. Um, Despite the title being a raw title, there is going to be wrestlers wrestling for it on SmackDown. It's going to be um, two
2: three way title three way matches on both Raw and SmackDown. The winners face each other in a singles match later in the night, and then the winners of those two matches face each other. At night the champion, right? So, but ready. that's I something to
3: watch it. on SmackDown. Like that, uh, those are matches that have real consequence. Um, I think this was this SmackDown this week was kind of a, a pretty light show. I guess it's a go home for Backlash, but it wasn't necessarily like
2: the it was in Puerto Rico. It was a hot crowd. Cody was on the show, and yeah. But this, this could be if, if my projection is right this this could be the lowest since september 2022 um i guess what, what i want to think about is like i know everything is still up and i've been sort of pounding the, the desk about it that ratings are still up but we haven't really seen the fallout of, of what the effect of the draft is here and i think it's kind of an unnecessary measure that they're taking here when things are going perfectly fine as, as it was um but I guess I wanted to point out to you that house shows are still way up through through April, and April obviously over with now. We've got you know I, I, I put this up here that house shows have gone from undesirable to undeniable. They're up uh, in April forty five percent, the in in March up thirty five percent, and is some of this because of Cody? Uh, I did break this out, um, and I and you can see the the tables for yourself on video. I won't read through them, but it's it's not super conclusive. I mean, the shows that don't have him, some of them are 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 not up market to market uh but there are some that don't have him like in champaign illinois it was up 25 percent versus the previous house show there didn't have cody on it but a lot of these that do have cody on it are, are up strongly can i attribute this bump in house shows to cody maybe but can't say for sure um any thoughts there before i talk about the reception of shows
3: no i mean i think the i think their business their their live attendance has hung up has hung on uh better post-WrestleMania than I maybe thought I would. They still seem to be doing really well, especially for Raw and SmackDown tapings. Um, we'll see in a few months. We'll see what the, if the brand split impacts that. If Because you've been kind of living off of the idea that stars have been bouncing between both Raw and SmackDown, so if you buy tickets to a SmackDown, there's a good chance that Cody Rhodes would be on it. And if you buy tickets to a Raw, there's a good chance, maybe not that Roman Reigns would be on it, but maybe like Sami Zayn or, or the Usos or other major stars in the company. If once, if we do get into a defined roles in the brand split, will there, will, how will that impact their attendance if you're kind of inherently taking less star power off of these shows?
2: And as we see there, Raw and SmackDown continued to be up year over year in, in all these mm. monthly comparisons. Um, so my my other question is that, well, since Vince is explicitly back now since WrestleMania and they're starting to do this draft and brand split, we're only the re- brand split only really goes into effect Monday, I believe. Right. Um, in any case, what's the reception been like, at least among the cage match voters and was in April, that whole month of April, we've got Vince explicitly back in control and, and we were getting reports that he is making changes. Uh, and Raw was, in terms of the cage match event ratings, was down to to its lowest level since July 2022 which was Vince's last month raw was so raw according to the cage match voters sentiment was as bad as it was back when Vince was back and in every month in between it was at least a little bit higher uh but SmackDown in April had a really strong average rating of 7.6 which is you know among the best months of, for an average for SmackDown um and this pay-per-view is quite well-received. When I took the screenshot this morning, uh, Backlash rating at over a over an 8.0 rating, just over, which puts it on the level of Elimination Chamber,
3: Clash of the Castle. I imagine the April Raw ratings are being really hurt by the... Um, that that post-Mania Raw that everyone just t- It kind of turned into like a, a, a meme on Cage Match, where Did it, it okay. was like, I don't know where it is now, but it was it was like the third worst reviewed wrestling show in history. It was like only like yes. Heroes of Wrestling and like one other show. Uh, I think there was like an episode of SmackDown that had no matches, no wrestling on it that also got killed. Like So I imagine that's hurting the April rating a lot. Um, and everyone blamed Vince. Vince was back making changes. Yeah, you can see that. Like It's obvious. Currently sitting
2: at a 0.63 out yeah, of 10.
3: in a lot of votes. So a there is of a lot.
2: 367, whereas everything around it's got
3: like... At and, most, just and, and to on. be fair, that was a hugely watched episode of Monday Night Raw, the post WrestleMania episode For sure. of Raw. For sure. um, so, but I'm assuming that is kind of like if you were to do I don't know like a median rating of uh, yeah. of April, it would probably be a little bit better. Um, True. Yeah. But well, I mean, it, it does like it does six or something. It does if you're, if we're going on the idea of like Vince being back in charge and making some having more creative influence is hurting the perception of the product. It's hard to ignore the. Episode of Raw, everyone knew Vince was back on. Everyone hated. Um, yeah. The SmackDown – the,
2: the median would be – seven. I mean, there's five here, so it's easy to tell. The yeah. median would be 7.49, right. which is pretty good. Right.
3: <laughs> um, SmackDown, you know, doing good. SmackDown had Vince had a couple of Triple H coming out and telling the fans everything was going to be okay. So that probably helps the, the, the people feel better about the SmackDown cage yes. uh, match rating. Um, and AEW, despite the fact that I think um, – A lot of people would say that the the build to Double or Nothing has been colder than most pay-per-views, that they're not necessarily... The the Dynamites over the last month or so have been um, below expectation. doesn't seem to be reflected in the cage match rating, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, But at least in that metric, it doesn't seem like Dynamite is particularly better or worse than they were a few months ago
2: you're talking it's it's up to well this is one week in may but it was up to an eight right it's, which is it's,
3: it's it's doing just as well as it pretty much has done for the last year um yeah. i think if you were to talk to some of the hardcore fans and and to read some reviews and stuff like that that it's a little bit more pessimistic than i think that cage match rating would imply
2: mm-hmm. um okay i don't know that we need to go through all my uh wrestlers under 30 analysis you can find that at wrestlingrocks.com that is free for everybody where i use a number of metrics including your match count your promotion count your google trends your the count of matches that you've had rated on cage match that are 8 or better and i ran an index and sort of tried to find who are the wrestlers that stand out well under those numbers that uh, that who are under the age of 30 and who have an age actually entered in cage match and we get is this we get the rank- over a thousand wrestlers. Is that the this ranking? Is, it, is, it is ranked. This is the well, ranking now, right now, here. Now I, now I wrote now I wrote in the in the article. If you read the article, I wrote in the article. Don't take this these the order of the, these tables too seriously. But here are some suggestions about who who the who the wrestlers are under for under thirty who are standing out. Now you may react.
3: No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There are some names at the very we, top that are ahead of some names towards the middle of the list that I would. We can
2: verify here that Masha Slamovich is in fact better than Will Ospreay. Okay. Moving on to the next topic. Um, briefly, we are, we have an ELO Ooh. draft update and uh I, I have to look into this to make sure, hopefully over time, these numbers will change, but we've got three dates here because these are the dates that apparently matches took place on, on so we started this, the clock on May 1st if you missed last week's episode, we each picked five wrestlers and based on their ELO ratings from here till the end of the year, we will have a, I don't know, an ELO league fantasy league here. And the winner will be the person who has the highest daily average ELO among their five wrestlers. Um, and, and I, I I'm ahead here just because I have, and we're early in this process, but it, it's really about where these people end up more long term. But I, I picked, I think the five wrestlers who are the, Collectively, the most highly ranked to begin with. So I am above everybody. So, I'm, I'm above either Gullo or Jesse at this point. So
3: Wardlow won a match. His ALO rating didn't go up at all. Is that just because he beat a jobber? I'm,
2: I'm suspicious that this – whether this data is correct or why, why it didn't move when, like, these people had matches. Yeah, Bianca Belair won last, right? last night. Well, the, I don't think we have the, the – I don't think we have her record for what happened last night mm-hmm. in here yet. I did run this this morning. But I don't. I but see. I, I scraped cage match at like midnight. So probably at
3: midnight, maybe that record isn't in there. I'm trying to think know. if she wrestled on Raw this week. Like I know Wardlow wrestled on Dynamite. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to think. We'll, like, we'll see what happens I know next week if these Hook,
2: numbers continue not to change. Wrestled, there will be a data
3: investigation. Hook wrestled on um, uh, on a Rampage. Oh Sonata God. beat Hiromu. Um, this week, Orange Cassidy won. He won a tag match. Um,
2: and This is all between the first and the fifth.
3: Yeah, I think so. Orange wrestled on Wednesday, which would have been the third. I think, right?
2: Okay. Well, uh, there will be a date investigation before next week if these numbers do not change over the days. So So. Um,
3: but. Uh, well, the death of AEW Dark does that impact? His, right. That was a. The, this that, that plays a huge role here.
2: We all we all made these picks based on the assumption that AEW Dark and Dark Elevation will continue to exist and continue to allow wrestlers to pile up the wins. No more, no more AEW Dark, Dark Elevation. Other than I don't know, maybe maybe a week or so. How, how much is really left? Mm-hmm. Um, so that 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 changes things, doesn't it? Sort of. I don't know who who here who who among among those we have picked is is really a regular on yeah. on Dark, maybe Dark Hulk, Elevation, but. Hook,
3: I would say I don't one. I don't know for a fact but like I feel like someone like Hikaru Shida is winning a lot of 3 minute matches on 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 Dark and Dark Elevation.
2: Okay. Um, if I, we watched Darker Dark Elevation we would probably be better able yeah. to to answer this question. Like
3: Moxley's probably not wrestling that much on Dark and Dark Elevation. Um Jade maybe is, I'm not sure um, how frequently yeah. she's on those shows. Hook maybe sometimes, Orange Cassidy maybe sometimes. Um on my end Wardlow I could see squashing people in, on Dark and Dark Elevation. Um Athena maybe, as and I well. did
2: I did look up your your Nick Aldis Jesse. He's he's ranked just below
3: the top one hundred. Okay, but I mean, this is a long term play on on Aldis getting a right. big push and impact. So right, hopefully he doesn't wrestle like twice. Like, he's not going to yes. wrestle that much. I hope he's going to be there each week.
2: But yeah, wrestling a lot is really an advantage here. Yeah, and house shows don't count.
3: Yeah, and so that's why the dark and dark elevation are good because it would just be these quick matches that mm. you got, you know talent mm-hmm. squeeze in.
1: Right. Okay. Um, We do have a a, a couple super chats. Uh, Louis Ducati was asking uh, when does uh, AEW air on ITV? Is it live? And does it improve the perceived value of AEW TV in Britain? So I think we'll all in, you know, improve that perceived value of AEW TV.
2: I don't know. Based on the. uh... The pound sterling of 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 Louis Super Chat. I think he might be better. I would think you'd be better equipped to answer. When when does maybe he was asking if I
1: Google if if All In will air? I think he's talking about All In.
2: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I see. For those wondering, when I Google it, it says AW uh, airs live every Thursday at one a.m. in the UK, and Rampage airs every Saturday at three a.m. on Fight. So like that is live, but yeah, late late at night. Um. I think that's the question because I, I think this is going to air my, my guess is it's going to air on Max in the US. That's only going to be in the US because it's not a global service. Um I think it's in a couple other other countries but probably not the UK. Um so it's either either going to have to find some streaming partner in the UK or maybe they air it on TV or maybe it's um maybe it's part of AW Plus. Maybe it's pay-per-view.
1: Does ITV I have think, like a I pay-per-view service or like cuz I know I, one I of the UK not, networks I did I, I don't know where it was.
2: I would think they stay away from pay-per-view globally because they're going to offer a pay-per-view globally the following week.
3: I think that... Um, so maybe,
2: you know, AW Fight Plus, yeah. if nothing else. In
3: perceived value of TV in Britain, I think obviously the show, Selling of My Tickets and Running Wembley Stadium, sends a strong message to... of what this, this company is in, in the UK and in Europe. We know from, uh, you know, doing very well, you know, at the Kia Forum, doing very well in New York City, um, impresses some people in network positions so i'm assuming doing really well at wembley stadium impresses people at itv and, and other you know broadcasting partners in europe
1: um okay. we have another one here uh, this is uh f- from Del uh, delmar uh, was the aw rating this week younger skewed than usual
3: i think it would um, be right because it did a 0.28 which is about the same as what they've done the last few weeks but it did significantly less than total viewers so i think that means that it's skewed younger for the most part
2: probably I'm pulling open the spreadsheet now. Um, if I look, we'll divide the demo by the total viewership here. And uh, AW All Access, not doing great ratings, by the way.
3: It's doing about the um, same as PowerSlap.
2: Yeah. So 47% was in the demo this past Wednesday. What, what happened last week, that, that was 47%. And the, and the week before this week was 43%. Had to have been a, a younger audience, generally. I mean, obviously, because it's as as Jesse said, same demo, but lower total viewership. So,
1: yes. Okay. And I know we have one more I'm just scrolling up to the comments. Very active that participated here. Yeah. This is from Izzy McClure just uh saying, thank you. WrestleNomics is the best part of my Sunday morning. Thank you, Izzy. Thank you. It's the best part of my Sunday morning, too.
3: It's also the best part of my Sunday morning, especially the way this Tottenham season is
1: going. All right. And I believe that is it. Just scroll down for chats. No, we should be good to go. We should be caught up on everything. Okay. Anything
3: else you guys want to talk about or plug? I do want to talk about something. If you've got a few minutes, um, sure. sure. And it's part of, I'll tie it into my plugs. Um, so, uh, the gentlemen's wrestling podcast. Um, I record an episode with Garrett kidney. Um, Garrett, for people who don't know, is kind of like the foremost TNA impact analyst, historian, um, in the game. And we talk kind of about the history of TNA and the legacy of the company. And one of the things on the show we talked about was kind of who, who was in charge of TNA at different times when it came to the creative end and how often TNA relied on people with past experience, uh, in wrestling people like whether it was dusty Rhodes or Vince Russo or John DeBiorek or Bruce Pritchard, these people that had experience writing for WWE, or maybe WCW, or somewhere else. And they were constantly relying on these people for um, uh, to kind of helm their creative aspects of TNA. And a lot of time, it kind of worked against TNA's best interest, because constantly trying to relive the past and things like that. Um, and I wanted to kind of draw attention to Will Washington being hired by uh, AEW this week. Um, Will, for people who don't know, is a longtime podcaster um, and kind of wrestling analyst, uh, and he got hired in kind of like a multifaceted capacity from for AEW. He's going to do I forget what his actual title is, but he's going to do you know some some social media, some house show work, some live attendance work, some create work in a creative capacity. I've been kind of told that he's going to be kind of responsible for.
2: The director of wrestling administration.
3: Right. And and, and Tony mentions like he's going to, he's going to have some sort of level of creative capacity and he's going to be, I think I've been told kind of, he's going to be overseeing um, some like continuity uh, within the company and things like that. And I kind of wanted to point out like, just it's very, very difficult for like people to break into wrestling in a creative capacity. And if you look at who has been allowed to have a strong creative voice in major professional wrestling, it's really only a handful of people, and it tends to be the same people from generations ago. And so it's very interesting to see AEW bring in somebody who, to my knowledge, doesn't have any like proper wrestling booker experience, but their experience comes from being a fan and having respected opinions and analysis over wrestling. And that's someone whose voice is not frequently heard from in wrestling creative. In WWE, yes, they have writers, and some of those writers maybe are fans, but it's all under the thumb of Vince McMahon, and it's also under the thumb of people like Bruce Prichard and Paul Levesque, who have been involved in creative capacity in wrestling for decades. Um, and it does, and I'm, I'm thinking like historically, that's really stunted the creative developments in pro wrestling because it's only a few people are ever allowed to really hold the pencil, and like. AEW kind of only exists because and Tony Khan is one of those new voices who has emerged. And the only reason he's been able to emerge is because he has incredible personal wealth and decided to dedicate that to running a major wrestling company. Um, And you could say it's to a lesser extent like Billy Corgan is another person who's been a new voice, but it's largely because he's funded it himself. And it's exciting, I think, for different types of people to get an opportunity to be a creative voice in pro wrestling and get a chance with a major company to, to get some ideas on there and to, to put the, the voice of a fan in the room which is something historically has been disdained by pro wrestling creative um, and I think it will be very interesting to see how it goes and if what kind of impact that has and we should welcome I think this opportunity for more people to get involved in wrestling creative as opposed to the same names that have been kicking around for years and years.
0: I'm
2: I'm, I'm scrambling to look at Cody Rhodes. Has said something in fact when in the early days of AEW, um, I'm, I I seem to remember him saying that there just shouldn't be writers. But he but what I'm finding is him saying that there there are, there are no plans at that time like 2019 for AEW to to hire writers.
3: And I think when we talk about writers, we talk about like the WWE version of of it, which is like we're going to get some people maybe with some scripted TV drama or a sitcom writing experience, and they're going to pitch. Which is something that never existed before, right? And we're going to pitch, Mr. man, re- reimagine. We're going to pitch like backstage storylines, like some of the ones we heard about, like in the lawsuit. Obviously, not as offensive as those, but the idea of like this person is going to be in a relationship with this person, and those kind of things, as opposed to like people deciding who's going to feud with who, who, and what kind of story are we going to tell, and, and those kind of aspects. And it's been controlled by the same people forever and ever. And it's one of those things where if you're going to if you're looking to hire a new creative head, you usually look at people who have prior experience, even if that experience is not particularly good, um, or they burned out or they don't have that connection with the audience anymore. Um, and you know, it's overwhelmingly white. It's overwhelmingly people over the age of, you know, 40 or 50 years old. It's a, it's people who have been around wrestling for a long time, or maybe their only experience is being around in sick man's version of pro wrestling, which was certainly something that has hamstrung TNA over the years. Um, and it's, it's a different, it's overwhelming men. Yeah. And so um, it is um, a different will will hiring will is a very different step. And I don't know how actually how much power will is ultimately going to have if he's going to be booking the whole shows. I doubt it. I Tony is still going to have most of the control there, I'm sure. But the idea of putting a new, another voice in the room like that is um, an interesting step. And I'm excited to see what happens. And I hope that if it goes well, you know, just more people from different backgrounds are given an opportunity to, to have a role in creative and wrestling, because that's really when the best stuff happens is when new people come along and experiment with different ideas. And when you're recycling the same people over and over again, you're not going to get that kind of output.
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's very true. That's the, the, the creative isolation that wrestling has been contained. U S wrestling has been contained to over the last
3: 30 years.
2: Has been a real limit on its ability to attract new audiences, to, to gain an audience, and to have you know, greater success. But, but wrestling has n- not failed badly enough to, for those people to truly be, be weeded out um, or to have, you know, to have dem- to add, to, 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 for it to be demonstrated clearly enough to, to decision makers to be like, well, maybe we really need to recycle the kinds of people we put in these positions mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And, and I think Vince is the biggest one of all.
3: Yeah, and Vince owned the company. So Vince had an incredible amount of authority over what was going on. Um, and that was, but even if you look at TNA, like when TNA went through a lot of different people, but with the exception of when they would bring in like Scott D'Amour, it was always like, who can we get that has some experience, whether it's Vince Russo, or Eric Bischoff, or, you know, even some like John Gaborik, who was like kind of like a WWE, I think he was FCW at the time. And like, just but just the same kind of people that come from the same kind of environment, which is WWE or maybe WCW. And you're not getting the new kind of ideas and the new kind of perspectives that need to be shared. And the, you know, the understanding of, of what the contemporary wrestling fan wants and what do new if you want to create new fans, what do they want? Um, right. It's just something that's been kind of. And, and there's closed. like, there's a, there's a hostility
2: to that old money that there's a hostility to. To the ways that wrestling has changed in terms of perhaps appealing to what they perceive as the smarter fan and how that's that's actually you know, that that's actually appealing to a much smaller subset when you need to appeal to the, the people at walmart and things like that this it's
3: who do you think under yeah and like this massive tension and also kind of like who do you think is. understands the average person anymore the person who's been in wrestling their entire lives or for the last 30 years or someone who's coming from a different background Right, if we're talking about who who's going to be – the idea that these wrestling fans are going to come in off the streets and they're just going to book for their hardcore, smart friends, I feel like I, – I would be more – I feel more comfortable that those people who haven't spent their entire lives in pro wrestling would be able to have a perspective to perhaps be able to influence and attract non-wrestling fans or non-hardcore wrestling fans as opposed to crusty old guy who's been in the wrestling business for 40 years and this is all he knows because he hasn't had a real job in 40 years.
2: I would suggest the Tony – Even if we let's say that we take for granted that you you personally dislike and hate the AEW product, he still has not booked. We can say this at a minimum. He still has not booked AEW badly enough that it has done worse ratings than it has such you know to the extent that it's been you know it had had to move its time slot or something like that, or it's been canceled or didn't get an upgrade in its TV deal in January 2020. And he did this. He, He avoided. Doing that extent of damage to his product. I'm, I'm trying to make this very, very basic, right? That he did this despite having not only no, re- no experience booking wrestling, but no firsthand experience in the wrestling business at all. Yes, he worked in sports and all these other things, but not wrestling. He's just a guy, uh, who was a big wrestling fan and tape trader and DVDVR message board poster. Uh, I mentioned that on the, the week that, uh, unfortunately Dean Rasmussen passed away, um, which is sort of like this. I think it is like this, you know, to make a really hoity-toity reference, like sort of this, uh, you know, Paris cafe of of uh, wrestling minds who emerged in the very early two thousands. Um, yeah, it's it, it just goes. I mean, it demonstrates to you that you no, know, you can't listen to every wrestling fan or every pundit online, but there are some smart people with ideas and perhaps even people who don't have have who are huge wrestling fans but don't have the typical experience that one has before one becomes a wrestling writer or booker Mm -hmm. these people can be quite effective and i think that that's what really sets aw apart from the the folly of of tna and impact is that it wasn't run by it was run by somebody who's a huge deep hardcore wrestling fan it was not run by dixie carter or the carter family or even the jarrett's it was run by somebody who loved wrestling in a way that the most hardcore fans love wrestling and that has been effective and if you don't think it's been effective it has at le- least not been prohibitive to the company existing and doing what it's done to this point
3: yeah and it's also been somebody who's avoided like hiring the the old guard um because they don't know any better or in learning from history and like it makes sense why dixie carter brought in eric bischoff or vince russo It makes sense, you know, oh, I'm going to get this person who you can can ask some people and they will tell you, oh, they were successful running another major wrestling company in the past and they were successful Mm -hmm. being a booker. Um, I'm disappointed nobody brought back Bill Watts again. The Cowboy? Well, Brandon, the Cowboy's not not gone. He's still around.
2: (laughs) I'm saying, well, I think actually maybe Hank Aaron ended him
1: actually. yeah,
3: But, uh, (laughs) well, no, because he was hired by Vince after. Uh, that's true, that's yeah, true he, yeah he worked for wwe well, think, uh, that was a
2: different time different time and place
3: yeah and so i think it's just been like really great like think about television like or, or let's 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 do like let's do because we're talking about like major american wrestling let's think about like big budget movies there are some people who like steven spielberg or you know James Cameron, although Cameron's not really that prolific, or Peter Jackson, right? These people that are doing big-budget movies, and they've been around for a long time. But there's also all sorts of other people who have stepped into that realm over the last 10 or 15 years um, and been able to show that they can do a great job and be successful. And it hasn't been limited the fact that they never had any experience making a big-budget movie before. And that's why we have a bunch of different, like I guess some people would say we don't have enough creativity in Hollywood these days, but we have different creative minds getting a chance to do something. And wrestling has really been stunted. It's only been a few people that have really been enabled and empowered to do that. And I think we've had so much of wrestling and so much of so much of AEW is fighting this uphill battle of pushing back against the singular creative vision of WWE, which is largely defined for wrestling over the last 20 years, because WWE has either been the only major show in town or if you consider TNA another major show, TNA was largely run similar to WWE from a creative end.
2: Um, yeah. And, and then I would argue that AEW, even as it is, is still infected by the bad habits that WWE has instilled across absolutely. so many people who who work in AEW yep. and who are influenced, maybe who never worked in, in, in,
3: in WWE. Um, right. Because that's the version of pro wrestling that's existed for 20 years. Um, yeah. And I think that that is a major um, step. I think in the right direction for AEW. Um, and that's why, like, if we talk, like, I don't think this has really seriously been discussed in a little bit, but like the idea of like a third major company, right? Like, what if Mark Cuban got involved or some other billionaire was like, I want to run a wrestling company? I do think Tony is really a one of one individual in the sense of he had access to tremendous wealth to run this company, but he's got the, mm-hmm. he's a big enough fan to understand who the con men are and understand what are some of the tropes he doesn't want to fall into are, as opposed to listening to all these experienced hands that want to tell you And it's probably not a surprise that a lot of these old con men are not fans of Tony because they maybe saw him as one thing and then quickly learned that he was another. And, and there was
2: this point and this is sort of related to, I think to the notion that that I think we've discussed that everybody had this utopia utopia utopian idealistic, Concept of what AEW could be as your idealized alternative right. to wrestling, and then it it, it, it deviated from that, and, and you are happier well, or, it's, or it's kind so of, of like the extent that it deviated. Yeah, My I had an optimism about what AEW could be um, early on, and that you know, it, but it, but it has still you know ended up being a largely WWE influenced product, <laughs> consciously or not, regardless of you know the lack of of WWE. Experience that Tony or other people involved ha- have have had.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um.
2: like you look at watching an episode of Dynamite, especially in the last few weeks. And I think the the criticism that you know pundits or people online have been having for it lately, it's been a, been a quite WWE looking product in terms of you know we do the promos in the ring, and the, there was a you know the, for that that four way match that they're building, there was a cavalcade of, of challengers segment where one, one came out and another came out. It was very WWE. Influence product involving four wrestlers and then perhaps producers who had nothing to do with WWE, uh, you know, in any significant way.
3: Yeah, and ever. to be fair, without getting into any specific examples, there are some WWE things that they're okay to do. There are some of them are really good ideas that you should try to emulate. Um, but you're right in the sense of if you want to present a product that's different to feel different and to avoid some of the mistakes that other companies have made emulating WWE, um,
2: and we could go even Further into the gutter here, and and, and like and go, go, will will can weigh in here, like in, in, on the Indies in a in a on an indie show where nobody's worked in WWE before, it's an incredibly I would say many of these shows that I've worked in are incredibly influenced sure. by WWE and W tropes and W gimmick matches.
1: Despite nobody ever working there. 100%, right? especially things like the TLC. You see TLC matches on the Indies yes. and
2: Money or, in the yeah, Bank. Um,
1: and, yeah, cash and Royal Rumble style matches. And yeah, um, and even even old tropes from old WWF are still used. The whole like, oh, two guys wrestling each other. Oh, here comes two guys running in art. Now we have a tag team main event. Like. <laughs>
3: Right. Hey, and some of these ideas, I think match stipulations, some of these match stipulations are really good ideas. I think, it, I'm, this is like something I've heard pushback against, I think AEW should just do a full-blown Royal Rumble. Call it something else, but do have 1 through 30 come out individually, big world title shot on the line, make the, the world title match at all in, you, you have to win the, the AEW version of the Royal Rumble. I think it would be great, and people would overreact, and we'd have this whole culture war fight about, you know, they're doing a WWE idea, like all this stuff, and then just be like, I don't care if they're copying WWE. I think it would be a great uh, – I think it would do a huge rating on Dynamite. And I think AEW has a lot of interesting talents that would get big pops when they came out. And it would be interesting to see who wins. I think that would be a great idea. But they probably wouldn't do it and maybe they shouldn't do it because it's just an ingrained WWE tradition. But as a, as a just a wrestling fan, I think it would be great. Okay. Anyway, so um, that's – so me and Garrett discuss a lot about um, – you know, the limited creative minds in TNA and that's on the gentlemen's wrestling podcast. And I also wrote an article for voices of wrestling.com talking more in depth about like the will Washington hire and kind of more of like historically what this means for, for pro wrestling creative. And that's on the voice of You can check
1: that out. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can see me uh, this weekend, uh, Saturday night. Uh, I'll be ring announcing uh, Empire State Wrestling, uh, Brawl Fest, Cardona versus Kevin Bennett in the main event. Uh, is that Frontier Fire That's Hall or River Works? Um, yeah. Okay. And then uh, the we'll night before, up. I'll be at the one-night cat brewing uh, doing stand-up comedy in the Williamsville area of, of Buffalo, New York. So, Okay.
2: Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for your super chats today. Uh, thanks for supporting and subscribing. We will talk to you. We will. I will be back with John on Wednesday with a special guest. Uh, to be announced i think you will both enjoy Uh, but then we'll be back so probably not a thursday show this week because i'm doing that on wednesday and then we'll be back of course again on sunday with this program talk to you then bye
0: mike rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo it's 13 years old soft as a flannel bathrobe